बाहर क्यों नहीं डालते मारूंगा लेकिन तड़पो तड़पो कर उम्मीद खत्म हो जाए क्या वो वापस आएगा पता नहीं तो तुम बेन से डर कर भाग गए तुम्हें भी उससे उतना ही डरना चाहिए जितना मैं डरती हूँ भरोसा टूट जाए बेन परिवार के कई लोगों को खो चुका हूँ मैं पर आपको खोना मुझे मंजूर नहीं तब आग उठती है इन लोगों के लिए और कुर्बानी देने की जरूरत नहीं सब कुछ तो किया है तुमने सब कुछ नहीं अभी तक नहीं आ रहा है अंतिम अध्याय बैटमैन की कथा का मेरी माँ ने मुझे अजनबियों के साथ कार में बैठने से मना किया किसने कहा कि ये कार है Okay. I'm hanging on a thread, but I'm okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's good. That's good. Um, Terence, how's it going? It's going great. Going great. Hopefully, hopefully you guys had a good Valentine's Day last week and ready for the podcast. Cool. And we also have um, a guest co-host for this one. Uh, she's brand new to the Batman podcasting world and stuff like that, and. Uh, she likes to talk about Batman stuff. Um, Laura, say hi. Hiya. I'm very new, but I'm happy to be here. So thanks for having me. Of course, we always love random people to come on our podcast. As, just as long as you listen to the podcast and maybe say that you like it, then you can be on the podcast. We don't really have that high expectations. We don't have a rigorous like interview process that you might have. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's how I got on here. Yeah, <laughs> I wrote that iTunes review, and you guys are like, hey, be on it. So, but <laughs> but if you badmouth Star Wars, you're off. So. <laughs> yeah. Yes, but yeah, we. True. We had mentioned Laura on um, a couple other podcasts with her her site at is, is it Bats Don't Kill? What is the, the I should have had it in front of me. What, what is your site for that? Oh, um, batsdon'tkillbabbles.tumblr.com. Yeah, I couldn't remember that, but thank you. Yeah, so I hopefully people who listen check that out, and uh, it's got some awesome stuff on it, Batman and not Batman related. But you've got a, a very impressive Batman statue collection that I was very jealous of. So. <laughs> Thank you. Well, it's lucky. I'm lucky because I work in a comic shop, so I get discounts. So it's always good. <laughs> oh, that's nice. <laughs> so why don't you tell us how you came to Batman and, and why he's your favorite superhero? Well, I kind of I grew up with it a lot because it was in the '90s, which was when I was growing up. Because I'm like a baby, <laughs> but um, and I uh, it got me really interested. And I started buying the odd comic here and there, but I was very poor and could not afford. <laughs> the uh, extortionate prices of comics but then I kind of grew up on the animated stuff more than anything and then luckily when I went to college I got the job in the comic shop and I could buy comics a lot more and then I've got into it a lot since then 
going off the Batman the animated series, I think is the best way to <laughs> become. Yeah, <a> yeah. <laughs> yeah and then my nephew and nieces are. Uh, I'm bringing them up on the animated series and nothing else. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Oh, that's good. That's why I'm lucky being old. When I started reading comics, it, the Batman comic was 75 cents an issue when I started reading it. So <laughs> I, I would use my extra lunch money and go to the comic book store. <laughs> so, but yeah, they've they've gotten a bit pricey. Yeah, whatever happened to the the drawing the line thing at 2.99? I was just wondering that. <laughs> yeah, that lasted what two months? <laughs> like all the big titles, like Batman, Action, I mean, that's all like 3.99 now. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And they had that one like two weeks ago. It was the uh, the Young Romance special. I think that was like seven ninety nine or eight ninety nine for one book. I was like, wow, that's a lot. Yeah, and then Detective what nineteen? I think is going to be seven ninety nine. Yeah, supposedly yeah. N- number nine hundred. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and we'll buy it because that's how we are. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and the variant if they have one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but anyways, we we finally have a, a chick with us. It's not totally a sausage fest. <laughs> no offense, guys. Um, well, you picked a good episode to join us on because this is the episode where we can finally talk about the conclusion for uh, death of the family. So, what did you think about it? Did you like it? Was it was it hit and miss for you? Um, did you not like it at all? What did you no, think? I really enjoyed it actually. It was kind of everything I expected it to be, and then a little bit more. But uh, I found it quite funny because a couple of weeks like, in the shop, we were debating what the ending would be like. Because we're obviously we all thought like Alfred would die or get his face cut off or something like that. And I said to the guys, I said, um, wouldn't it be funny if everybody was fine? And uh, like because Bruce is worrying about Alfred and uh, just like distracting him from what the Joker's doing, and then he's being like. Batman's um, Bruce's court jester and I was like in that retrospect uh, Snyder's kind of being our court jester because he's like, taunting us with the family and Alfred and then kind of putting us off our game and then we all just laughed about it and then we read Batman 17 and we were like oh okay <laughs> yeah. but yeah I, I really enjoyed it alright uh, Tim what did you think yeah I thought it was a great conclusion to the whole story overall I mean, when I first read it, I was expecting, probably like everyone else, something drastic was going to happen to one of the characters, that they were going to die, or like Laura mentioned, someone's face is going to be cut off. But after reading it, I found it actually pretty refreshing that none of that did happen, because it just wasn't those events where you were expecting someone to die. That's what the event's going to be known for. Or like, this is a story where Joker killed Alfred or killed Damien or whoever. But it was just it was so much more than that. Like, just having someone die... Something that I like everyone expect, but since Joker just pretty much what he did was cause the in a sense the death of the family, where that they pretty much don't trust Bruce or Batman anymore. But all the things that Joker, Joker pointed out to him in that uh, celebration, he was calling it with everyone there. <laughs> so yeah, I thought it ended really good. I mean, it was unexpected. Everything that happened in there, I wasn't expecting to happen, which was nice reading it. So yeah, I thought it was a fitting conclusion to the story and this the story as a whole overall I thought was just really good I had a chance to read it yesterday all all five issues in one sitting and it just really is a great Joker story it flows together really nicely and just Snyder's dialogue with the Joker was just spot on I mean every time I read I kept hearing Mark Hamill's voice as I was reading it it just like his voice fit perfectly with the dialogue Snyder was writing it's like man I want to see an animated movie of this now <laughs> so yeah I thought it 
it satisfied me with its ending. I know I've been reading online it hasn't satisfied everyone. It's kind of a split where a lot of people think it was a failure because nothing drastic happened where nobody died or anything like that. So, which I think is kind of a narrow-sighted view of it. Where if you're just expecting an event to someone to die, that's what uh, measures the success is if someone dies or not, which I don't think is like a good attitude to have when you're reading these stories. But for me personally, it did a great job, so I was happy with it. And Terrence? Yeah, I had a little bit of mixed feelings about this issue. I, I could not wait to read it. I, I don't know how long um, it's been since there was a comic that I could not wait to read as much as this um, book. And actually, the night before it was it came out, there was some um, images leaked of the first few pages, which I read, which went right up to... Um, and here's spoiler alert, but uh, they right up to the uh, faces in the platter. So then I was like freaking out. I could not wait to read the rest of it. And I think I, I downloaded it um, at 6 a.m. as soon as I woke up and read the first half before I went to work. And then I read the second half during work. Uh, and then uh, the artwork overall was just fantastic. I have no complaints about the artwork. It was amazing. Some of the um, panels and some of the scenes are just, I think, going to become classics uh, and kind of ones that will be um, called back in, in future art with DC. Um, when I started reading it, the beginning, I just loved. It was sort of like the classic Death Trap with sort of a, um, a modern Scott Snyder take to it. So I was really digging that. Um, and then um, I kept thinking, what, what, what's, it, what's up with Alfred? What's up with Alfred? So when uh, Alfred comes out, even though he's all Joker-fied, uh, Batman, there's this one close-up where he's like, Alfred, Alfred, thank God. And I was like saying the same thing. I'm like, oh, thank God, Alfred's okay. <laughs> uh, and then they lifted the platters and, and saw the faces, and I was just like, I, I, I really thought those were their faces cut off. Uh, and I was like, wow, how did they, uh, how'd they do this? And, and, you know, I was like, well, how are they going to fix them? So I was really, really into it to that point. Um, but then they have a few pages where uh, Joker and uh, Batman are talking, mostly Joker's monologuing. And I felt that that dragged the story and, and made it go a little bit slower when I read it. Um, really? Yeah. <laughs> I like first, that's the part where it's like really drawing me into it. You know, and maybe because when I reread it, I didn't feel that way at all. So I think it was just maybe the first read through because what I did was after I after I finished reading this issue I went back to issue number one of the death of the family and reread the entire Batman run I didn't read all the tie-ins again but I think I think it was just maybe a little fatigue after all the tie-ins and all the Joker talking to Batgirl and Nightwing and Red Hood and Red Robin and um in all the different books and Batman and Robin that it was maybe just a little much for two or three months but um. The second time I read it, though, I didn't feel that way at all. Um, and then I thought how Batman got out of the death trap was awesome. I thought that was a really great story uh, part, um, really believable. And then when he goes to Robin and, and pulls the bandages off his face, I thought it was really touching where he gives him a hug. And you, you see their faces are okay. But the, the weird thing was um, they take their bandages off, but Jason Todd never takes his bandages off. They're still bloody and red. So I was thinking of the upcoming cover where his face is all messed up, thinking, well, maybe the joke is that their faces are okay, but his face is the only one he cut off. Um, so that was kind of like piquing my interest there. But then Batman chases after Joker, and uh, I really, really liked 
the fight scene with Batman and Joker, especially where Joker's got a crowbar at one point and they, the callback to the crowbar. Um, and this part I just thought was classic, was awesome until the Joker falls. And I was kind of like, no, they didn't just, that, that's so cliche. Don't end it here in a, a fall. But the artwork is really, I think my favorite piece of art in the entire death of the family run is that scene of the Joker's face sort of ripped off and falling and right in the eye you can see Batman's like outline of his shadow like looking through the Joker I thought that was really cool um and then Batman when he picks up the Joker's little book and it's empty I thought that was kind of disappointing after waiting all this time to figure what's in that book and that it's just empty um and then here's where I started to have a lot of problems with the book. Um, they reveal that Bruce Wayne, uh, you know, he he had found the Joker's card and that he was, you know, convinced that the Joker did not make it into the Batcave and did not know who he was, that the Joker somehow, you know, attached the um, card to the Batboat. And in fact, they even say in one scene during the fight, that like he says, well, this is how as far as you got. This is where the boat, this is where the boat dives. And I know you didn't get any further than this. Um, so in order to prove that the Joker doesn't know who he is and that the Joker was not in the Batcave, his plan is to go to Arkham Asylum and show Joker the card and basically tell him that he's Batman <laughs> to prove that he doesn't know he's Batman. Which I maybe I'm reading it wrong, but that just I was I was kind of like what you know you you you're. You're so sure that the Joker doesn't know who you are. The way to prove it is to go tell him who you are. And then he just looks at you and you have now, now you have an understanding with the Joker, a gentleman's agreement that you each don't care about the identity of each other, um, which was kind of, uh, to me, just kind of was a big sort of hole in the story. Um, other people may like that part, but I just kind of, I couldn't wrap my head around that logic, especially when, you know, Barbara Gordon gets shot by the Joker and then all these people in around, um, his family, Alfred and Nightwing and all these people there are being affected by the Joker. And it's pretty obvious he knows who they are. And he even taunts them in some of the earlier issues of, I know who you guys are. Um, so um, that part kind of got me. And then the end, it ends sort of like Bruce is going to have a meeting and nobody shows up because they're all mad at Bruce, uh, which I also kind of thought was a little disappointing because I wanted this story to have something groundbreaking at the end something that would change everything i mean it's titled death of the family and it's really not the death of the family it's just the family all pissed off at bruce for a while which you know they'll get over and be okay so it should have been sort of like you know the the upsetting of the family um and then you know um i thought that the end joke that joker has with the chemical formula was pretty cool but what i thought was interesting was if you read the red hood after that i think red hood 17 you know it has the Joker, it, well, first of all, it has everyone all together again, except for Barbara. Barbara's still annoyed, and rightfully so. And then um, it, then it, it has the Joker burn um, the Red Hood's face. So I wondered if maybe that was originally supposed to be part of Batman 17, and that's why, you know, the Red Hood's bandages stay on all the way to the end, um, and that maybe it got taken out and put into the Red Hood, Um if you read this, if I read the story with the Red Hood chapter, I like it a lot more because then I do feel like the Joker changed something and, and really damaged something a little bit more. Um, and then um, the other thing I didn't like here at the end, and maybe you guys can talk about this, maybe you liked it or not. It, Bruce said that the reason why he never killed the Joker 
was not because of his code of ethics, but because he was afraid that if he killed the Joker, then Gotham City would just produce something worse. And I kind of don't like that. I, I know he's Batman, I know he's human, but I don't like him being like, yeah, I was just afraid something more, more bad would come if, if I killed the Joker. You know, I kind of like, there. when I reread it, there's the one scene uh, where Batman's in Arkham and he's surrounded by all the, the, the inmates dressed like the guards and he's way outnumbered and he's just like, come on, bring it on now. You know, I kind of like that Batman. I don't like this. Well, I'm just afraid something scarier than the Joker might come. So I'll let the Joker live and kill a whole bunch of people so I don't have to face anything worse. Um, I much prefer, and, and I just heard it on um, Fat Man on Batman, Paul Dini was talking about how Batman would never kill because, you know, it's a slippery slope. Once you kill the Joker, it becomes that much easier to kill the next guy. Uh, and they actually, they even, you know, Scott Snyder even wrote in here, he kind of says... Um, you know, I, I didn't I've never not killed him because of my code of ethics. He so he dismisses that um, or the slippery slope. So, you know, I'd rather either the Joker just gets away and he would kill him like in Batgirl. Batgirl was going to kill the Joker, but he just got away. Um, I wasn't happy with that whole uh, something scarier might come. But um, even with that complaining and all that, I did. I love the issue and I, I thought it was awesome. Not to disagree with you on the on the end sequence, Terrence with uh Bruce going into Arkham and showing him that card. I really like that whole sequence because it kind of drove home the point of what Snyder was trying to tell that Bruce and Joker, they do have this mutual understanding of each other that only them two have. And because of that, that's putting his other Bat family members in danger. And now that they know all this, that's going to cause that whole distrust amongst each other with Batman and Bruce, which I think is the whole point of death in the family. I just love that whole sequence where Bruce plays that card on there. Joker stares on him, stares at him, doesn't say a word. Like you said, doesn't care who he is, but... It's like that only them two know that they're going to have this, I don't want to say respect for each other, but just like this understanding of each other that only them two are going to have. And that's Joker views it as fun and doesn't want to change anything like that. And maybe Bruce doesn't think that or he doesn't act that way. In a sense, he kind of does too. What's the point Joker's trying to make? Like me, you letting me live is just like me letting you live where we just like doing this with against each other all the time. So that's what's putting the whole doubt in the whole bad family member members, which I think is, the thrust of the story, why I think it works so good, and just having a big drastic death or change amongst people in the Bat family. So don't so, you think... Oh, go ahead. No, no, I was just going to say, so do you guys think that Death of the Family brought Joker and Bruce closer together, like, you know, Alan Moore has said, stated time and time again, where uh, Batman and Joker are essentially the same person, except they took two different roads at a certain intersection in life? In a weird sense, yeah, I think it does, like, bring them closer together, I guess, if you want to say. I I do agree with that, yeah. Yeah, I I do as well, I think. It kind of works to um, people that haven't really read much Joker and Batman stuff as well, and they've just kind of jumped into the new future, so it kind of showed them how close they really are, because I kind of just probably assume that it's just our Joker and Batman, but it kind of helped to show that they are pretty much the same person, like you said. Well, I was going to ask Tim, though, like, when he goes to um, and shows Joker the card, but then later on when Joker kidnaps Alfred and then leaves um, Bruce that that, seat, uh, that cassette tape, uh, don't you think Bruce would kind of maybe realize, like, well, Joker's not living up to the agreement, or he, he does care who I am because he's attacking the people closest to me, and then he, you know, he breaks Nightwing's, you know... Um, I guess ex-girlfriend was Rava or Rava out of jail and he destroys the whole circus. And like at some point, I think Bruce needed to realize like, okay, 
that agreement's not holding up here because he's going after you know everybody that I I know. Maybe he knows that at the end here. I'm not sure, but I just I don't know. It just seemed kind of weird to me. Yeah, that's probably is the case because at the same time, Joker's trying to prove the point too, where all the Batman members are making him weak, and he wants Batman to go back to being at the top of his game. And like I said before, I think it just kind of Bruce may not realize it, but it's just all these things Joker is doing. It's just kind of reinforcing the, the pointing out that. In a way, like we said before, Bruce is like the Joker by keeping him alive because he may not realize it, but Joker's trying to point that out to everyone. Because he's keeping me alive, he's putting all of you in danger, and that's the way he likes it. So I just think that all these mind, different mind games that Joker is doing, with all the things he's done, is just like putting all these doubts in these mind games with all the members of the Bat family and Batman himself. So, so essentially, what you're saying, and what you're saying, Terrence, is that Joker knows who who Bruce or who Batman is, which is, you know, of yeah. course Bruce Wayne, but he, he doesn't care about, about, he doesn't care about that. He cares more about, um, making Batman the best that he can be. Exactly. Yeah. All right. So was there anything else you guys wanted to talk about with, um, uh, this Batman number 17? This is another thing I like was the ending was the final confrontation was with Batman and Joker. It was like, it was like a classic Joker Batman fight you would see, like, in the animated series or something, where, but I just love how Batman actually defeated him, kind of, where it was Batman's turn to, like, do the mind tricks and mind games with Joker, saying that, I know who you really are, like, I'm done playing this game with you, now I'm gonna go down to, like, your level, and I'm gonna reveal exactly everything I know about you, just to make Joker upset, and it worked. Because I really, as we kind of see in that panel of the Bat-Computer, it says Joker's identity is unknown, but Batman was just using that to finally break down the Joker which I thought was a great way to defeat him in this issue. Yeah, and he kind of adapted to to Joker in this crossover because, I mean, we all know that Joker is, lives on chaos and randomness, so Bruce had to figure out that one single thread that would get to Joker that would ultimately defeat him. And in this case, it was that he that Bruce knew, knew that who, who the Joker was, but in actuality, he had no clue, right? Yeah, exactly. I just like how he was using that against him because he knew that would tick the Joker off. Mm-hmm. Oh, really? You think he he has no clue? Because I I read that differently. I thought he knew who more about the Joker. I just thought that the computer said identity unknown. I hadn't thought of that because I know there. Uh, I think it was Batman Annual or Batman Zero that had the Red Hood in it, and um, and then Harley Quinn. Uh, was dressed as the Red Hood in the beginning of the death of the family, and uh, they even made like Batman even made like uh, some comments of like, yeah, he's taking me back to where it began. This is where it started. These are the chemicals I analyzed. So it seemed like he knew, you know, that he was the Red Hood and fell in the vat, very similar to like Batman '89. But well, uh, yeah, I think he definitely knows that that he was the Red Hood. But as far as like his real name and his history. I think that's okay. definitely still a mystery. I mean, Scott Snyder, he did an interview recently with IGN where they kind of asked him about that, where what is the status on that? Does Batman really know or what is it? He goes, um, he kind of left it open where you can kind of come to your own conclusion, but I think in Scott Snyder's mind he said that Bruce really doesn't know all Joker's history. He was just kind of using that. But he said, uh, like, but I did leave it open in case you wanted to interpret it that way, you could. But Okay. So I'm taking it where he doesn't really know everything about the Joker. He's just using that against them. And also, too, um, something I haven't talked about, it's like the final sequence where, like, kind of Joker had that last backup plan to make sure that to cause more pain to the Bat family where that 
the gas goes off. And it's sad to see that lion cub go, go but <laughs> yeah, that whole sequence with everyone fighting each other was just like, it looked really disturbing to see all their grins and like smiles out they had just beating each other up. I just love how it ended with Alfred kind of going over everyone. He just was only, all he was doing was laughing, but he was able just to say the few words family and then he was able to kind of get everyone and calm them down and kind of embrace, like I like one town where he has like, Tim, uh, Damien and Dick, they're all kind of, he's holding them and just showing that they're all close together as a family. I did like that sequence and how it all played out, too. Yeah, I like that because in the fight, Joker kind of tells Batman that, hoping that he'll run away, and Batman's like, yeah, it's okay. They'll be all right. I have faith in them, and I like that. And then I also like um, in the fight that Joker at one point uses, like, the the trick flower and the joy buzzer on them. I thought that was cool, like a classic Joker yep. stuff. And then um, that's something else. Oh, and I really, really like Greg Capullo's art of the Joker with his face. He did like the scars very much Heath Ledger, but even more so, um, I thought that was fantastic art. But, um, what did you guys feel about the book being empty? Did you, were you disappointed in that or did you like that twist? Um, for me, it didn't really bother me that much. Like I said, just more of the Joker and his like, uh, twisted scheme that he's playing. Just using that as a, I guess a visual example, kind of the twist, in the Bat family thinking that he knows the secrets and it's Batman's fault, but really it was just all in his head. He would just use it, I think, as like a visual example to try to get everyone to distrust Batman and all that. So it really didn't bother me too much. What do you yeah. think, Laura? Yeah. I, I was pretty much the same. I mean, the first time I read it, I was like, oh, okay. But then I, I, I kind of thought about it, and then I was like, that's kind of clever that he kind of used it, as you said, with the uh, where you think that there is a big secret and it kind of festers. But then in the end, it's it's just played on kind of thing. Yeah, for me, it was... Well, I mean, first off, I was like, how do you? How can you possibly write anything in that book? Because that book <laughs> is so small. Like, it would be like a, a letter per page. Um, and you could probably only write like a sentence. But as for the, the book being empty, I was more like... It, it kind of made me smile because... Of course the Joker, I mean, uh, Bruce didn't write anything in that book, and Joker didn't know all these secrets, and I just thought it was funny in the end that the book was blank. Um, But Terrence, you brought up a point earlier about the Bat family being mad at Bruce. I felt that, like, that they weren't so so much mad, I mean, especially in, you know, Batgirl and Nightwing and what have you. I, I felt like they were more just exhausted emotionally from this ordeal. So so where do you get this, uh, they were mad at Bruce? Uh, no, I would agree with you that they're exhausted. I guess, I don't know, I just, um, this is sort of how I was taking the, the last, I, I guess I was think, taking that a little bit more if I was one of them and he had uh, you know, had all this information and knew about the, the Joker knowing the identities and, and, you know, I was Dick Grayson and the Joker came after me and burned down my amusement park that I was getting ready to start and the whole circus abandoned me and, you know, and now I'm, you know, and he, I know he knew I'd probably be mad. Um, yeah, they, I guess it's more, I mean, if you look at the art, it's kind of more like kind of looks of exhaustion and just, uh, I was taking a break. Yeah. I would say hurt more than that, I think. Is what they're probably feeling. Yeah. Hurt for what, though? No, I just heard that Bruce kind of kept these secrets from him. And maybe in the back of their mind, they're they're thinking that, yeah, what Joker is saying is true. 
that they them two have this special connection that they only understand, and then because Batman's letting him live, maybe they are thinking, yeah, because Batman let him lets him live, we are all in this danger all the time, and then they're kind of hurt by that. Where kind of the point that Jason Todd makes in uh, under the Red Hood story, where you you let this guy live all this long, no matter even all the by killing me and then by hurting Barbara. So it kind of goes back to that point too. Maybe this 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 whole experience reaffirms that, but because Bruce is, hasn't killed him and he has this kind of either secrets that he didn't tell the Bat family that they're just kind of hurt by that that he would do that, and kind of put that first over them. Maybe that's just in the back of their mind, which in the end is kind of the Joker winning at the end of the story. Like it's kind of what he wanted to happen, and it worked. And finally, I mean, I guess we should talk about the ending uh, with with Joker, of course like every other big storyline falling into water just like <laughs> yeah. or or just like hush i should say uh did you guys like it cuz i was like uh i would hate i mean i hate when that happens but you know for the joker i'll make an exception because <laughs> i want to see him come back <laughs> i was kind of half expecting that too i wasn't right like you said, almost every Joker story has him falling off something and he disappears <laughs> you don't know what happens to him. So, if anything, maybe just a kind of like a traditional way for a Joker-Batman confrontation to end. But um, the very last page I thought was pretty cool where we see that fly go on the bad screen, kind of like giving you the indication of, was he still there in the cave right now? <laughs> yeah. But. What about you, Laura? Um, I'm kind of harsh. Like, as you said, I was like, oh, another Joker falling out something. But then... I was kind of also, it's kind of nostalgic, like as you guys said with the um, the acid flower and the buzzer and that. I kind of liked that as nostalgic because, as I said, I kind of grew up with the animated series. It's kind of a nice touch to kind of that. And then him falling off kind of made me think of the animated series. And I was like, this is kind of nice because it kind of gives you something that the fans can go, oh, that's kind of cool. That's what, like, how it always happens. Like, kind of what we are now. That we, we can think, oh, that's nice, like, um, obviously the Joker's like falling off stuff, and, and we can relate to it and feel that to all the time that that's happened before, so I kind of like it in the fan aspect, if that makes any sense. Too bad it didn't end, like, the animated series episodes of Laughing Fish, where Joker jumps off into the water, he pulls a string <laughs> and a, a rubber ducky floaty thing comes out of <laughs> and floats in the water. <laughs> and what about you, Terrence? Yeah, when I first read it, I was, I, I was, my first thought was really disappointed. Just I thought Scott Snyder could have done something better. Um, but that last scene there with the face falling and Batman's, you know, in the eyeball there, I just, that scene made it worth it for me just because I was like, well, all right, it's kind of cliche, but to get to see that art piece at the end, I was like, it's worth it. So, and uh, you know, the ba- Joker's not going to die because he makes way too much money for DC Comics every month. So, <laughs> you know, I was not expecting him to die. So, I thought it was a good, um, a good way that Batman didn't kill him, but you know, um, the Joker stayed alive. But you, you never know what Batman might have done um, if he hadn't. And it's hard to tell whether he. It looks like he jumps, I guess, because he he uh, uses the joy buzzer on Batman's face. And then you just kind of see him going over. So my guess is he kind of jumped or slipped. So, um, but yeah, it'll. I think this will go down as a classic Joker story, like Tim said. Yeah, and it kind of reminded me. I mean, especially in this issue, in the last, I don't know, two pages, it reminded me of the, of the Killing Joke because on the Killing Joke, uh, Joker tells Batman that joke, and they 
they both end up laughing at the end. Uh, with this issue, I felt like it was it was almost exactly the same thing with that Hanium thing, and and like the abbreviation is Ha. I just thought that was funny. It was it, it was it made me smile, and I, I thought that it was just the perfect way to end this arc. Yeah, I thought that was great too, because that is something the Joker would do. Like other villains are robbing banks or taking over the world, he's you know doing a chemical formula just so at the end it'll come up and say ha 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 and make a joke. I thought that was very much how the Joker would be and the court chester that he describes himself as. Yeah, I guess the last thing I'll say about it is that Snyder did a good job wrapping it all up and kind of answering, not leaving anything to question. Cause, but the Joker stories, you always wonder where he, where he escapes, where it makes you think. I mean, you know he's not dead, but you kind of get that question where where is he exactly? What's he doing? Unlike in the Court of Owls where that ended, you were left wondering, oh, where, like, is that really Bruce's brother? It was kind of still up in the air. I'm just glad in this issue, all the main story points kind of got resolved in this final issue. So I thought he did a good job wrapping this up kind of better than he did with well, the Court of Owls. I mean, everyone except for, how is Joker going to get his face back? His, his trademark smile with the red lipstick and the white skin and stuff like that. How is he going to get that back? That's what I'm wondering. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think he'll do I think they'll do something with the Lazarus Pit, probably, yeah, or something like that. Go. But yeah, because <laughs> that's what yeah. I was wondering. Because I thought that the the family got their faces cut off as well when I first read it. I I really bought that. I don't know if you guys thought that or if you knew it was fake to begin with. But I'm like, how are they going to get back on? And you know, so I was thinking something with the Lazarus Pit or something. But actually, yeah. I won't mind if Joker's his look stays like this for a while because I like how he looks with his torn up face tied around his his head. Yeah, where did Joker? Joker get those those faces on the platter. <laughs> they never say, but I wondered that too. Yeah, maybe Doll Baker made them. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so uh, I think we pretty much nailed out every major point in this book and in the Death of the Family crossover. So, what rating would you give this out of five? Uh, let's start with Laura. Oh, that's like fresh from me. Um, probably like a four point five. Okay. Uh, Tim. You know what? I'm kind of torn between a 5 and a 4.5, but after reading it again, everything really tied it together nicely, and I thought it just wrapped up everything great, and it left a lasting impression as far as the Bat family is that every, things are going to be a little different now between them. We'll see how long it lasts, but at least for a while, things are going to be different amongst them and Batman, so I loved how everything played out. Really can't have too much fault with it, so I'm going to only give it a 5 out of 5. I thought it was a great conclusion to it. Terrence? Uh, artwork, art-wise, I would give this issue and the entire Death of the Family storyline a 5 out of 5 or, or a 5 plus. I mean, the artwork um, it was amazing. Story-wise, I would give this issue a 4 out of 5. You know, I thought it was really good, uh, but I, I just had a few issues with a, a thing here or there, and the whole, the whole card thing kind of bugged me, but, you know, that's my problem. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I'm probably going to give this a 5 out of 5. I mean, I I know I bashed on uh, Batman number 16, but with the conclusion, Scott Snyder concluded it really well. And um, I'm kind of sad it's over, but I yeah. guess we can look forward to the future. <laughs> yep. Like, I kind of wish that this was as long as Court of Owls, but then again, maybe this is why it worked. I think it works a little better than Court of Owls. Maybe it's just a kind of a, a short, contained, really cool story with the Joker. Maybe if it dragged on longer than it should, maybe... It wouldn't be as good, but I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I wonder how they're going to uh, put this in the trade paperback because, um, well, they'll just 
publish the Batman stuff and then all the side stories separately because I, I really feel like 17 is a lot better if, after you read Red Hood 17. Like, it, it's a really good sort of, like, it takes off right where this one let off and it does a lot more into, like, how everybody's feeling about the whole situation and it has some... Um, uh, definitely some retcon stuff, but some some conclusions with Bruce and and Jason, and then it kind of has the Joker's final gag on the Red Hood. So, um, you know, af- I think Seventeen is better if you read Red Hood and the Outlaws Seventeen after it. Well, how did they do it with the Clark Lowell's? Do any of you know? I mean, I, w- was it just Batman, or was it Batman plus all of the other all of the other books? I'm pretty sure it was just. Uh, the main Court of Owls and the Batman titles in one, but I think all the crossover stuff got in a trade, but I might be wrong, I'm not sure. Um, I think they just released the Court of Owls trade, which is like 8 to... No, it's the last ending of the Court of Owls Batman story plus um, all of the crossovers in one like graphic novel, I think. Okay. I could be wrong. Don't just know that. <laughs> It's probably safe to say it's more than one <laughs> big graphic. <laughs> yeah, I'm not. I, I'm not 100%, but I think it was just the Batman issues. I think the Court of Owl tie-ins were done in their own uh, reprints. I think. All right. So, did, did you guys want to move on to the solicitations for May? Let's do it. Yeah. All right. So, what did you guys think? Of course, I need to point out Batwoman. Another awesome cover, just like this week's issue. Um, I just have to point that out in the beginning. But what did you guys like? <laughs> as far as the covers, as far as just the artwork, I kind of really like the uh, Dark Knight Annual number one. It's like that art style by uh, Alex, uh, probably going to miss up his last name, Malev or Malev, something like that. <laughs> but uh, I just like the the artwork, the design, and then just having the main villains, the stories going to feature in the windows of a building showing Mad Hatter, uh, Scarecrow. So I just like how the, the art design was on that one. But um, story-wise, I'm going to see what uh, Batman number 20 has in story. Because it says that a strange visitor comes to Gotham and then tragically delivers the team-up you've been asking for since the start of the New 52. I'm just kind of curious what that team-up's going to be, who's Batman going to team up with this. But in the cover for this issue, it kind of looks like Clayface might be involved. Because uh, you see Batman, looks like he's punching Bruce Wayne, and it looks like he's made out of clay. So all signs point to it's Clayface. But I'm still curious to see what this big uh, team-up's going to be. Yeah, and I'm wondering what... Uh, what Gail Simone's going to do with Batgirl number 20 and the ventriloquist. It's, it, it's the girl ventriloquist. I can't remember what her name is. Um, but uh, I don't know about that one. Again, ventriloquist is kind of like the Mad Hatter for me, where it's just like a, a B-list kind of um, Batman villain. I mean, except for the, the, the animated series. I felt they, they really did uh, the ventriloquist really well in that in that series, but as for the comics, I'm not so sure. Yeah, it all depends on who's writing. I mean, you can get some good stories out of him, like you said, in the animated series. But yeah. at the same time, you also just come off as a cheap B-villain, like you said, <laughs> like that handled that right. So what did you like, Laura? Uh, I liked the Dark Knight annual as well. I really like that art stuff. And I'm quite intrigued by the Batman and Robin one. Yeah, I was mm-hmm. curious to see how everything's going to, because it's going to post the time with Batman Incorporated. And there's all this rumors going around. Is Damien going to survive that? So yeah, he's not, not shown in any of the the cover for this one, so we'll see how that's all going to play out with Batman Inc. Yeah, I also liked, as you said, the Batman 20. And then talking about the uh, team-up, I was debating whether that was going to be like the standing issue of Scott Snyder's Superman. 
Because there's been, we've, at work, we've been talking about whether it's going to be like his first ever appearance of his Superman. Because of whether, um, if Damien dies, whether he comes to Gotham to kind of console Bruce or anything. But I don't know. We'll, we'll see how that goes. I actually kind of thought of that when I first had team up, the thing that popped in my head, like, was Superman. But at the same time, I thought, well, they've been together before in the Justice League, so it's not like really the big team up we haven't seen yet since the start of the new 52. But what you're saying kind of makes sense since Snyder is going to be doing that new Superman title. So maybe that'd be a, an introduction in some way or sort of something like that to tie in. All right, Terrence, what did you think? Uh, I really like the cover of Batman Incorporated number 11, uh, Gilliam March. Um, but it says that there'll be four covers, so I'm not really sure. But um, it's got Talia dressed. She almost looks like a ghost or, and holding a skull. So it's kind of... It looks a lot like Hamlet, which is like my favorite thing ever written. So I don't know if uh, Grant Morrison has been doing a lot of like classic literature and classic artwork um, incorporated in Batman Incorporated. Uh, no pun intended. But uh, <laughs> so I don't know. That hopefully will have a uh, uh, maybe a Hamlet uh, feel to it. But I have a question on um, Dark Knight Annual Number One in the windows. It's like the Mad Hatter in the left. And then in the penguin in the right, but who's the guy in the bottom window wearing like a straw hat and a mustache? That's uh, Scarecrow. Oh, is that Scarecrow? Yeah. Oh, okay. All right, couldn't figure that out. Okay, all right. Yeah, looks like it'll be a good month of uh, comic book reading. And yeah, Batwoman looks awesome. And it looks like they're gonna get into some something kind of satanic there. And um, the the female uh, ventriloquist looks really creepy. I don't know if they're gonna do stuff with voodoo or. What not, but um, and I'm super excited that not only will we have Catwoman, but we'll also have a Catwoman annual. So we'll have double the <laughs> Yay. Catwoman. Yeah, dollars worth of Catwoman. Yeah. So, <laughs> and since I buy three copies of that every month, one to read, one to keep sealed, and you know, uh, one for signings, um, it'll be a great month. So. <laughs> and the other thing is, wow, they've added a lot of Batman titles because when I scroll down, this just keeps going and going, and the digital <laughs> ones and. Justice League, and he's now like Justice. He's going to be in Justice League of America vibe number four, and um, yeah, there's a lot of you know DC keeps canceling books and creating Batman books. It's <laughs> kind of yeah. And is this going to be the first time we see the new Batwing uh, outfit? Yeah, I think so. Mm. And it's the new creative team, right? The Justin Gray and Jimmy Palmiotti. Yep, so that outfit looks so cool. So much better than <laughs> 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 the <other> one. <laughs> All right, and, uh, you know, speaking of uh, adding Batman books, uh, there's going to be a new Batman-Superman title, which is going to debut in June, and uh, Greg Pak is going to be writing it. Terrence tells me he does a lot of Marvel stuff, and the art's going to be by Jay Lee. So what do you guys think about another Batman book you need to pick up? (laughs) I like the first few stories in the back in, what, 2003, was it, with Jeff Loeb and Ed McGinnis did the first Batman Superman title. The first few stories in that were really cool. Then I kind of dropped off after the first few issues or the first few storylines. But um, I think it's going to be cool seeing Batman team up. Batman Superman team up is always something cool that I like to see. So hopefully with these writers, like I haven't read too much of their Marvel stuff, so I'm not sure how their writing is, but definitely going to give it a shot. The artwork looks cool in those sketches that they have. I like that Batman one where he's sitting on top of the, the gargoyles on there. This is a cool pose that he has. So, all signs yeah. so far point to it looking pretty cool. And I'm going to pull my uber geek nerdy card because what excites me about this is that it's called Batman Superman, 
not Superman, Batman. I know that's like <laughs> minor and makes me geeky, but the last, you know, comic was Superman, Batman, and then all the, uh, DC direct to DVD movies have been, uh, Superman, Batman, Apocalypse, and whatnot, and I've had to put them under the S's, not the B's when I, alphabetically. <laughs> so, I'm just that excited that this is Batman, Superman, and, cause it's going to sell because of Batman, not because of Superman. And, um, uh, I've never read anything by Greg Pak, but I have been reading the uh, Before Watchmen, um, Ozymandias by Jay Lee, and his art is really fantastic in that book. Uh, and I've, I've remember hearing a lot of good things about him. People were really into him in the 90s and in early 2000s with Image and Marvel. So um, I think the artwork will be outstanding. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. The geeky thing as well. I'm like happy that it's called Batman. Also, I'm kind of stoked that it's set back when they first met, so I'm intrigued to see what they've retconned with the New 52 and how that kind of fits into it. Yeah, that actually got me a little confused a bit, because I thought, maybe I just don't remember it right, but in Justice League number one and two, where Batman and Green Lantern first encounter Superman, I always thought that was kind of like the first meeting. Yeah, me too. So I guess Batman and Superman will have a history before that. I think it's going to be kind of how... If it's, it's pretty early in their career, it'll be Superman, kind of how he was in the first few issues of action, where he just has the T-shirt and that tiny cape. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm sure Batman's not going to be too intimidated by that. <laughs> how did Jeff Loeb get away from DC? That's, I mean, how, how could DC let Jeff Loeb go over to Marvel? I don't know. And Ed McGinnis, they were doing the Hulk stuff. They yeah. Should, yeah. Oh, right, right. And Paul Dini. I can't believe they let Paul Dini go over to Marvel. <laughs> yeah. He's just on the TV front, though. I don't think he's on any comics from uh, Paul Dini, anyway. Okay. But I've heard a lot from some of the sub-Marvel stuff that Jeff Loeb has done hasn't been really good at all. I mean, there's that one, I think, big Ultimate Comics event that everyone just said was terrible. That was supposed to, like, kind of destroy the whole Ultimate Marvel Universe line. Everyone just said <laughs> it was awful, but I know his DC stuff was good, so... I'm not sure what happened when he went to Marvel. Yeah, I never read any of their stuff at Marvel, but I got to say, Ed McGuinness's art that I did see of him drawing the Hulk was really good. I mean, he draws like muscle on top of muscle on top of muscle, <laughs> and that was perfect for the Hulk. So I, I didn't read it, but it looked cool. All right, so moving on, we have the fan documentary Legends of the Dark Knight trailer. Um, Tim, did you want to talk about this? Yeah, I just think it's a pretty cool uh, fan documentary that's going how supposed to show how Batman has affected the lives of pretty much everyone who's into him. And it's a pretty touching trailer where you see actually how he affected kids who are going through things like cancer and how Batman is such an inspiration to them to get through these tough times that they're going with and how, on the other end, people who are fans of Batman are able to show and help these kids by kind of dressing up as Batman, visiting them in hospitals, and just showing just, like, the good you can do just by being into Batman. Then also, I think it's going to go into like the success of the movies too, because there are interviews with uh, Michael Uslan on there, kind of telling the story how hard it was for him to get the first '89 Batman movie made. So it looks like a cool trailer. It's a it's going to be a documentary, but they're kind of looking for some help on Kickstarter. They have a Kickstarter account to try to get things this sort of movie finished. So hopefully it does. It looks pretty cool. Some definitely any Batman should check out. All right, and and Laura, you. You actually backed the Kickstarter, so what was your motivation to do that? Just to see the movie? Yeah, pretty much. It made me like really small. I think just it's really gratifying to see how happy just one kid can get is from seeing a guy dressed as Batman, pretty much. But yeah, I, I donated twenty dollars to that, so 
Hopefully more in the future. <laughs> cool. What do you think about, about it, Terrence? Yeah, I think it'll be cool. He definitely has a lot of love and respect for Batman and the Batman fans. It's not going to be like uh, the Star Trek when they came out with Trekkies and it was kind of actually <laughs> making fun of uh, us Star Trek fans as much as it was like paying homage to them. So this is, looks a little more serious. Um, and, uh, yeah, I'll look forward to seeing it. That's kind of what I like about it, too, with these, that some of these movies show where, like, the general public is saying, oh, these are just nerds who dress up as Batman costumes or Star Wars costumes. What good is that? It's a waste of time. But when you see things like this, you see how it can provide good despite visiting these kids in hospitals where it just brings them happiness. So these are good things to show people who are kind of just have a cynical view about it, saying, oh, you're just wasting your time. And these are just things that nerds do dressing up as these heroes. So. <laughs> It's a good yeah, counterpoint you know, to that. You know what this sounds like? It sounds like that, I don't know if you saw it, Tim, but that 501st yeah. movie that they did, that was a really good one. Yeah. I mean, yeah, they kind of made fun of him for a, li- for a little bit, but uh, they, they showed, you know, the 501st guys going to the hospitals and doing fundraisers and stuff like that. So, I mean, if it's anything like that movie, then this movie should be good. There was a thing like this on on MTV years and years ago. I've been looking for it, like, on YouTube. I could never find it. I don't know if you've ever seen it, Tim, but it was about Star Wars, and it had this guy who liked to dress up as, like, the Jedis and go to the the conventions and things like that, and his son was, like, 18, 19, and just was like, did you see that? Yeah, that was so cool. He's like, what is my dad doing, and this is a waste of time. So they took him to the convention, and the kid kind of got into it, and then he was like, yeah, I think I kind of like the stormtroopers. I want to dress as a stormtrooper. So they dressed him up as a stormtrooper, and the father was, like, so happy he was crying. But he's like, but why did my son pick the – he's like, I'm so happy he's dressing up, but why did he pick the dark side? Why the dark side? So, yeah, uh, if it's got stuff like that in this, I think it'll be pretty fun to watch. Definitely. Um, But we also have a new Arkham game coming in 2013. Um, So excited. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Um, there's no word on Arc, not Arcsteady, Rocksteady is, is going to be involved, <laughs> but um, it's pretty much a given, I would say. I don't know, I'm kind of a little worried, because nothing official, like you said, has been announced, but I'm hearing on certain sites and stories that Rocksteady isn't going to be doing this one, Uh-oh. which has me a little worried, because <laughs> usually every time there's some good games by the same developer, but whenever they leave the franchise, it's by another developer, it always drops off in some way, so... I just hope they're not rushing it and that we've got to get a new Batman game out because it's been two years since the last one. Right. I mean, hopefully, it'll, they'll take their time and this developer is good, but I don't think it's going to be the same without Rocksteady. <laughs> Damn, Tim. Stop doing this to me. Last night, it was the Clone Wars being canceled, and today, it's Rocksteady not being involved with the new Arkham game. <laughs> I'm the bearer of bad news. <laughs> yes, you are. <laughs> Um, well, hopefully 2013, which means that we could probably be playing it on the PlayStation 4 or what's the Xbox One coming out? Is it the Xbox 720 or something like that? I haven't really uh, announced that, but more than likely it will come out like around the same time as the PS4, I would think. Yeah, so that would be cool. Uh, and hopefully by 2013, I'll have a, I'll have a finished um, what is it, Arkham City by then, <laughs> so I'll be ready to play this one. It took me forever to finish uh, Arkham Asylum. Just get... Not even that I'm that well. I am kind of I'm really bad at playing the games, but uh, that just having the free time to play the games too is a little challenging. And then having you know uh, an 11 year old and a seven year old who's like, let me try, let me try. So you know <laughs> I gotta you know give them the controller and let them try. Uh, so um, but yeah, no, it, it hopefully will be awesome. 
Have you been able to avoid the spoilers for Arkham City, or do you know what happens at the end? Uh, I know a little bit about uh, the the Joker. Uh, spoiler alert! So shut this off if you don't hear it. I've been told that the Joker dies at the end, and that's why a lot of people were saying it was Mark Hamill's um, final performance. And I do, you know, I work in a middle school with eleven year olds, so they kind of <laughs> tell me everything about every game. So it's kind of hard to avoid it. But um, was there something else? I mean, you can tell me if, I, or was it the, the that was the big Joker? thing about the Joker? Okay. Dies, but another big thing is that I. Uh, in the process that he kills Talia in front of Batman. Oh, okay. No, I hadn't heard that. Um, but yeah, I guess that's also why a lot of people are um, suggesting it might be a prequel, so that way the Joker could come back. So. All right, and finally today we have the Batman 1966 figures out, and I, I've got to say they look so awkward. <laughs> yeah. I mean, especially the 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 Adam West Batman one. I mean, look at that cape, and what's wrong yeah. his neck? <laughs> yeah. like he has a collar on, but the the um, the Batmobile looks pretty awesome. Yeah, I would say if I was a kid when I was first watching the Adam West series, I would go crazy for these toys and would have to have them. <laughs> but looking at them now, I was like, they kind of fit what the show is. They don't look nothing spectacular, but. <laughs> It's kind of funny to see the Adam West show actually has action figures now. But like you said, the Batmobile is, does look cool. Probably the only thing worth getting, I would say. <laughs> Unless you're a hard, diehard fan of the Adam West show. And right. the rumor the rumor I heard, oh, I was just say, the rumor I heard is they're coming out with a Joker one, and it will have the mustache covered over with white paint. Oh. So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I like the, as I say, I like the Batmobile because I had um, – a blue one like that. If it was, I think it was from like the Super Friends, which was kind of like that, but it was just blue. I guess they changed it yeah, just I had enough to not to get sued. Yeah, and I got it actually when I was I was uh, almost three years old. My brother was born, and uh, coming home from the hospital, I guess I think my dad or my mom bought it in the hospital gift shop to bring home to me. <laughs> and on all the pictures of like my brother coming home from the hospital, I'm in the background like playing with the Batmobile, care less about my brother. It's like I've got a Batmobile <laughs> and. Uh, <laughs> I still like that Batmobile more than him. No, I'm just kidding. But, <laughs> but yeah. I, it, so are you going to be adding any of these toys to your statue collection, Laura? <laughs> I think I'm all right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Somehow I think I can get by without buying them. <laughs> Look at it, I've got like a small model, like metal version of the TV show Batmobile. So I'll just stick with that one. <laughs> Smart choice. <laughs> I just Although, think this is... That Joker one with the mustache does sound enticing. <laughs> <laughs> I just think this Batman here probably looks a lot like the uh, Batman that Dane saw as a kid trip over the curb. So. <laughs> no, 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 that, that was the Darth Vader. Oh, that was Darth Vader who tripped. Okay. Yeah, the the, bat, the Batman was in the picture with the, oh, the black right. sweatpants and the black shoes. Yeah. But white socks, don't forget about that. <laughs> <laughs> they had to make an action figure for that one. <laughs> And then, like, you could have, like, the, you could come with it as, like, eight-year-old Dane combo pack. <laughs> <laughs> um, but if you are interested in these figures, the um, they're six-inch figures, and they're priced at around $15, and the Bat- the Batmobile is priced around $50, so. Oh, whoa. Whoa. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> wow. Okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think we will have to hold back. <laughs> um. Okay. So, Terrence, did did you want to do the listener feedback? 
Sure. Um, and I just want to say for merchandise news, I got um, – this is my own personal merchandise news, if you don't mind me saying. Uh, this kid at school came up to me, and he's like, yeah, I was at Barnes & Noble this weekend, and they had a uh, – you know the Funko Pop Heroes, which unfortunately I collect those. Um, and uh, on my Twitter page, yeah. And it all started because this one girl in my class two years ago gave me the Batman Pop Hero, and I was like, "Oh, this is cool." And then on the back, it had like the other five in the collection. <laughs> and I'm like, "Well, I got to get all five of these now." And then I had to get Series Two, and then Series Three, and then they have Star Wars ones. And so now I've got I don't even know how many, but he he had told me that they had a um, a Chase Edition. Uh, Batgirl, which uh, those are kind of hard to find, and and uh, they go on eBay for like sixty, seventy bucks. And he said they had it, but he hid it in like <laughs> behind all the other ones because he wanted to get it, but his mom wouldn't let him buy it. So my wife works near that bookstore, so the next day I'm like, on your way home from work, stop by and get it. So she <laughs> she got that Batgirl Chase edition, and then she also bought me for uh, Valentine's Day the big. I don't know if you guys have seen it, but they've come out with like these. Uh, uh, Pop heroes that are like three times the size of regular ones. They're like uh, they look like a little baby actually. And um, she actually got the Chase edition one, which goes for like a hundred bucks on eBay, just because it was blue. And and she's like, oh, I like this one better. It's got blue. Not not realizing that it was the Chase edition that is worth uh, so much. So um, that's my merchandise news. But um, in fan feedback, um, we got um, some great emails from uh, my friend Dan. Uh, on episode uh, 22, which um, had not come out when we recorded 23, but he thought it was hilarious that um, we did the uh, the rating system in his honor and uh, says he enjoys listening and, and almost got in trouble at work because he was listening at work and he was laughing so hard before <laughs> staring at him. So um, that, that was good. Um, and then um, oh, we also got a, another email from um, Alex, and I'm going to um, – paraphrase it a little bit but he had mentioned that he really enjoyed dark knight returns part two and enjoyed our um review of it and um was not that much of a fan of the all-star batman but did like the uh issue with green lantern uh and the the room all painted in yellow um and then he did mention that um he also liked our, our comments about playing video games but he said that he was not very bright as a kid because he would uh be at home and playing video games and then him and his friends would leave and go to the arcade and uh, pay to play the same video games they just left home playing. So, uh, yeah, yeah. so, uh, and then, um, he, he asked, um, and I guess he was, he was listening a lot to, uh, uh, fat man on Batman, which I, I don't know why, but if you listen, Paul Dini's on that and, um, a lot, and Kevin Smith, and they do a lot of crying on that show. They're they're very emotional about Batman. And uh, he he asked us. He wanted to know because uh, he said that um, he's normally emotionally detached from characters, and uh, he's come close to crying. But uh, he wanted to know if there were, we've ever cried in a from a comic book. Um, and I I thought about it, and I don't really think I ever have. I I was. Um, preparing for it because i read um identity crisis after it had already come out and been out for a while and was in trade paperback and some people had warned me of like oh where do you see what happens with tim drake oh you're gonna freak out and um <laughs> I, I i don't remember crying for that and i don't i don't remember ever really crying over a, a comic book he just said that um he was got emotional um 
with the scene with Batman sitting with Ace on the swing set in the Justice League Unlimited episode epilogue. He said that always gets to him. And that the scene with Bruce pleading over his parents' grave um, on Mask of the Phantasm also breaks his heart, too. So um, I'll throw that question out to you guys if there's ever been a Batman moment or something that has really um, impacted you emotional or even brought you to tears. I will say I did not cry at the end of The Dark Knight Rises, but I it's only because I held it back with everything I had because I really <laughs> thought they were going to – I thought they were going to blow – I thought Batman was going to blow up with the bomb, and I'm like, oh, my God, this is the end, this is the end. And, like, he's just – there's this one scene where Bruce Wayne is – or Batman is just kind of like, just, like, staring at the, the sky, and they're playing the music, and I'm like, this is – Batman's going to die. And my wife even said <laughs> – She's when we were watching. She's like, I was looking over at you. I thought you were gonna cry, and I was like, No, no, I wouldn't do that. I but that was just because I didn't want to cry in front of her. Um, uh, and uh, let's see. Uh, oh, I'll throw that out to you guys. What did Laura? Why don't you go first? Um, the two moments in the animated series they do get me, but I can't say I've cried at a comic myself. I'm terrible with movies though. I think I cry at everything. I think I'm too over emotional. <laughs> um, into the dark night. I have no idea why. But that made me cry in the cinema. I've no idea why. I still don't know why, but it did. <laughs> and the same with the Dark Knight Rises. I was there like, don't cry, don't cry. And I managed to hold that back. But it was the same moment as well for me. Alright, and Tim? Tim is very unemotional. Yeah. But. <laughs> I'm a Vulcan. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Um, I can't say that anything I, where I made me cry, but stuff where I did felt like, for like emotional scenes I thought were really good, I kind of touched at the heartstrings a bit. One that I think of was, uh, the animated series episode Robin's Reckoning, where... Oh my god, sorry, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's a great moment where Bruce is actually trying to comfort Dick, and Dick is just, as a little kid, saying like, why can't I stop him? I knew he was doing something up to no good, and then Bruce kind of tells him, Reveal some of that, yeah, I went through the same thing. I lost my parents as a kid, and you just think to yourself, if only there was something I could do, but there's nothing that either of us could have done. And then you just, so Dick just starts breaking down and starts crying, and Bruce embraces him, trying to comfort him, telling him it's going to be okay. And then just right after that, it goes to the present where Dick's yelling at him, and they're having this argument. I just thought it was a great parallel between the past and the present and what their relationship's like. So... So the first part before it goes to the present where Bruce is or they're having that connection is why I think the Bruce and Dick relationship is so good where they understand they both lost their parents in a similar way and both of them have the same viewpoint toward it. So I just thought it was a great moment emotionally for those two characters. So the, I didn't actually cry, but that's one that emotionally kind of gets to me a little bit. Don't lie. <laughs> yeah. I'm bawling like a baby. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry, I couldn't open it. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I mean, does it have to be Batman-related, comic-wise? Uh, he did not, according to Alex's question, he just said books, TV series, movies, so no. Okay. Um, oh, in fact, I like, like Star Wars, then. Let's see. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I actually just read this for, like, the third time. Um, but it was Alan Moore's Time Twisters back in, back in the day when he was still with 2000 A.D., um, time Twisters is, you know, uh, going back and forth in time, and I don't want to spoil it for you guys. I mean, you can read it. It's right on the right on the internet. It's called The Time Machine, um, but that one was just devastating. It, was, it got me depressed. 
to, I mean, it didn't make me cry, like, like it made Tim cry, but, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, Alan Moore's Time Machine back, uh, when he was with 2018. And, um, uh, I'll just say, I, while you guys were talking, I thought of a couple things. In All-Star Superman, um, I know Grant Morrison said that he wrote All-Star Superman, um, like right around the time that his father died. And there's this scene with Clark Kent where he kind of goes back and sees his father and then he's at his father's tombstone and everything. And that reminded me a lot of my father's passing. So that was a really emotional uh, story and really um, a heavy, um, heavy beat. But it was done really, really well. And, and I guess it was very close to Grant Morrison's heart. So that was pretty emotional. Um, I think I did cry. Uh, about halfway through Batman and Robin, when I realized what a piece of turd that movie was, and that that might be the last Batman movie I ever see. But oddly enough, Batman Forever. I, I know how goofy and silly that movie is and doesn't hold up, but there's one scene in that where um, Val Kilmer's Batman uh, runs into um, t- uh, Dick Grayson, and like Dick Grayson is so mad at him, he's like punching him and everything, and he's just like, if Bruce Wayne could have given his life for, uh, to save your parents, he would have. And I was like, wow, that's that's heavy. But um, yeah, and then should have been executed better. <laughs> like, yeah, different actors, different around that, A lot of the movie around that scene wasn't as good, but that scene was good. Uh, Val Kilmer is a great actor. Even just watch Tombstone. You know, Batman doesn't do him justice. And. Uh, you know, and I was just going to go back and say that I felt the same way that Laura said at the end of the dark night when Batman's sort of running and like you hear Jim Gordon's voice and he does that monologue at the end. You know, he's a silent. You know, I, I can't say it. I'll get it wrong. But, you know, like a silent guardian, you know, and then he ends it with a dark night. I was like, yeah, yeah, finally somebody gets it. That's Batman. <laughs> you know, I was I was pretty emotional. And the guy who runs that um, Batman on film site. As said on his podcast that he was he's like I was crying like a baby when that was up I was so happy to see that um, and then also the Dark Knight Rises because it's so emotional because it's the beat of him where you think he's dying or at least if you I guess maybe some people knew he wouldn't die at the end but I you know my brother claims that he knew that he wasn't dying but I really thought they were going to kill him uh, and then it's like the grave of Alfred crying and then they show the sign of like Wayne Manor is now like a home for orf- orphans in, in honor of his parents and all that so it's like one after another after another that by the time you finally see him at the cafe you're just like oh thank god he's alive <laughs> so uh, but um, Alex that was an awesome um Email. Thank you so much for sending that in. Um, and then another listener feedback uh, is uh, Dane had mentioned that, um, or I, I, I had mentioned to Dane that my wife thought that the podcast was a little impersonal. She wanted to get to know who Dane and Tim are, and now Laura. And um, and so um, Dane had mentioned maybe my wife asking a question, and she didn't want to come on the podcast. She thought she'd mess it up or get too nervous. But her question she did have for for all the Bat fans here is she wanted to know if you guys uh, are in college or did go to college, and if so, what did you study? And did you have a favorite teacher in school, whether grade school, college, what what have you? Um, and so I'll let you guys take that away so we can – this is the get-to-know Tim and Dane section. <laughs> <laughs> all right, Tim, you go first. Well, the first part is the easy answer. No, I didn't go to college or anything <laughs> after high school. And as far as favorite teachers, I actually was homeschooled most of the time up to I went to public school from kindergarten to third grade, and after that I did homeschool. So didn't really have too many uh, teachers to have a lasting effect on me, really. But uh, <laughs> I had a good first and second grade teacher 
her name was uh, Miss Uribe, I believe. And it's actually, actually, she did first grade, and then she was able to do second grade, so I had her twice. So she was a cool teacher. Okay, I guess that's me then. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were going to go off for longer, Tim. Yeah. Uh, um, I don't have much public school experience. So. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I did go to college. I didn't finish, but I was studying philosophy. Um, but as for a favorite teacher, no. I hated I hated <laughs> public school. I hated school. Um, I felt like I didn't learn anything, and the things I did learn were were kind of useless. Um, but, you know, I mean, it wasn't all that bad. I'm probably just overstating it or whatever. <laughs> um, but, yeah, that's, that's pretty much it. And, Laura, did you want to answer that? I think, you know, college... Well, they call it university there. I always get that mixed up. College is high school in the UK, right? And then our high school, or how, how does it work? I... Yeah, I think um, college is high school for you, and then uh, university is what you call college. I think. Okay. Yeah. I could be wrong. Um, no, I, I, mean, I think that's right, yeah. I'm in university now, uh, studying graphics and illustration, which is all right, but boring. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> Just for a favourite teacher, uh, one of my tutors now is kind of awesome because we have like one-to-one crit sessions about our portfolio things and we spend about two minutes talking about my work and then we talk about Led Zeppelin and Batman, so it's always good. <laughs> oh, cool. I'm waiting for a, a Star Wars college or university to open, then I'll attend that. <laughs> I'll be the professor. <laughs> Just open your own, yeah. <laughs> All right. Um, so, so is that it from your wife? That was it. I'll, I'll find out what she says, uh, and, and, and we'll we'll do more get to know your bat fans. Um, the uh, what was it? Oh, so yeah. And Tim had told us um, on the um, sent us an interesting um, information about how many uh, people actually download the podcast. Yeah, um, and I think we were hitting like about the two thousand range of downloads. So um, if you're listening, send us an email, send us a tweet, send us something. Let us know you're out there because uh, there's a lot of people downloading it. So even if it's just to tell us how much you hate us, go ahead. So. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So with that, I guess we can finally move into our comic book reviews. Um, again, spoilers if you have not read any of the comics. From the past two weeks, you probably don't want to listen to this unless you want to be spoiled. In which case, you can listen to this part of the podcast and just be just spoil the hell out of yourself. Uh, but for February thirteenth, we have Batman and Robin number seventeen and Batgirl number seventeen. For February twentieth, we have Nightwing number seventeen, Red Hood and the Outlaws number seventeen, Catwoman number seventeen, which probably nobody except me skimmed through. <laughs> Uh, Batwoman number 17, Batman Beyond Unlimited number 13, and Justice League number 17. So for February 13th, Laura, where do you want to start us off at? Well, Batman Robin made me sad because of the whole rumor about like Damien being killed and incorporated. And then I read it and it, it was a nice kind of aftermath of the death of the family, but it really felt like a send-off issue to Damien. And I was like, no. Is that where you wanted to start us off? I don't mind. Okay. Give us your review now. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm trying to think of, like, remember what happened. Oh, it was really good. The art, like, no one can draw Damien Scar better than, um, Gleason. Say that. Yeah. What are we racing in, sorry? Well, well, here, let me ask you this. 
how do you think um, how do you think the the bat or the Bruce Wayne uh, Damian relationship was strengthened through this, especially through Damian's eyes, where you know he's fighting off the alcohol influence, cult influence, and he's it essentially states that. Damien loves his father and wants to be closer to him and wants to have that father and son relationship with him. What do you think about that? I think that kind of that's grown a lot over the last few issues. And um, with the death of the family, as like we said with them in that panel in Batman, it was really nice to see. And then uh, in Batman Robin, at the where he has the nightmare to begin with, and then. At the end, where Bruce goes to, uh, like, kind of comfort himself as well as Damien. Um, after when he's still asleep, you know, I took him in. I thought that was really nice. Right. And Tim, what did you think about it? Yeah, I thought this was a good follow-up issue to Death of the Family. It was different too, kind of seeing everyone's how it affected them, I guess, in their sleep and their dreams. It was all different. I like probably Damien's the best. We kind of had a dream within a dream. But at the same time, we got to see how he was kind of fighting his Al Ghul side with his Wayne side. I thought that was a pretty cool sequence. But then I like—I really like how he woke up for that, and he sees that Robin out on his on his bed, and he follows it, and he grabs it, and then he sees uh, goes into the room where Bruce is sitting on the chair, reminiscent of year one, where he has that bell ringing. But just that image of that bat over him and that word that he says, like, Damien, won't you join me? This looked really creepy. And then pretty twisted as far as, like, how Batman's origin was from year one. This is, like, a, a strange twisted take on that, which I thought was pretty cool. But then Alfred's was kind of strange, too, but seeing how, because, you know, Death of the Family had a big effect on him, obviously. But just showing how we pretty much wanted to take the Joker down. I mean, that was, a, again, Alfred with a gun, but it's in a dream, so it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> This is a shot of him sh- shooting off his head and then just waking up for that. This and he smiled. He smiled yeah. at the end. <laughs> yeah. What did he say? I think he said, I told you that was enough. <laughs> like, nice and calm about it. That dream. <laughs> but, but, but do you guys think that, um, oh, I forgot what I was going to say. Oh, um, do you think that with this issue that it pretty much states that Bruce thinks that um, Damien's going to save him? From himself, I actually didn't get that vibe to it. Yeah, but um, I kind of see how you could because you show there's that sequence of Batman scene where he falls off that boat in the water, and then Damien's hand grabs him, mm-hmm. and then Bruce goes over to him, kind of like Laura said earlier, and tucks him in at night, kind of showing his like thanks or appreciation for him. So I didn't get that vibe when I first read it, but now that you mentioned it, I kind of see where yeah, you can't look at that that way where. Bruce looks like Damien is kind of someone who may can, maybe can save him. But um, it's definitely nice to see their relationship come so far as it did from the first start of the New 52, where they pretty much couldn't stand each other almost, it seemed like. And that, that end dream sequence was great that Damien was having, showing Batman and Robin working together. And I just like how it ended where Batman says, you know, this is a dream, right? <laughs> Damien's like, yeah, but it's one where I actually don't want to wake up from. So, yeah, it was a cool issue. Something yeah. different to kind of wrap up the death of the family a little bit. Not necessarily wrap up, but kind of like showing the aftermath of how it affected everybody in a cool, different way. Yeah, and Terrence, what did you think? 
Um, before I read this issue, I had seen a couple things online, and somebody gave it a one star out of five, and someone else really wow. badmouthed it. Yeah, and said, like, why did they make this? It was a waste of paper. It's just a bunch of people dreaming. So I, I had very low expectations when I picked it up, but I actually really enjoyed it. Um, so, uh, you know, it is a dream. It's basically just all of their dreams, but it really gave Gleason liberty to draw some really incredible artwork and some really great imagery that you couldn't really do if it was a realistic uh, comic, especially the scene with the whale. I love that scene. Um, and so I, I like that part of it. I knew what I was in for. Um, I really liked the callback to the very first issue of uh, Batman and Robin where Batman made that little boat in the sewer uh, and a lot of people kind of criticize that and even I kind of criticize that a little bit of like well, what what is this here it's not the Batman I want to see I want to see the the guy putting a rose on the, the spot and then going out and beating people up uh, and he actually gets kind of criticized here a little bit in the dream of like you can't do this this isn't going to make your pain go away um, and then I, I love the ending where they were um, sitting at the dream, and he's like, and Damien's like, yeah, it's a dream I don't want to wake up from. And I think, I still think Peter J. Tomasi writes Damien the best. He he has the perfect balance of being that snot-nosed brat and being overconfident and arrogant, but yet still being a kid who you really like and, you know, has feelings and emotions and, you know, is trying to, you know, has a lot of twisted stuff done to him and trying to figure out who he is. Um, so I would give this uh, issue four out of five uh, 1960s Batman toys that I will not be buying, including the Batman with his shark repellent spray. <laughs> <laughs> that actually might well, be I mean, worth buying. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, I mean, this this issue did bring, I mean, it cemented that, you know, Bruce and Damien do like each other, um, and they do love each other. Do you think we're going to see a closer uh, Bruce and Damien and Batman and Robin, or do you think this is going to be completely forgotten and thrown under the carpet like it has in the past? No, I think as long as uh, Pete Tomasi is still writing it, I think he'll develop on that more. Of course, there's all that, like we said earlier, that rumor of something's happening to Damien and Batman Incorporated, so we'll see where that leads into Batman and Robin, so <laughs> maybe they're building up their relationship just so it could come crashing down and like Damien's death or betrayal or something. <laughs> Hopefully it won't, but yeah, I, I, I think. Dam- oh, oh, sorry, go ahead. Oh, I was gonna say I don't think that uh, Damien's going to die, and I think they're gonna tease it. Um, but I, I've been wrong before, uh, and I do think they're going to make them a lot closer and, and Damien a lot more likable. And I just want to say one thing I've got to mention. The coloring in this book, I love the coloring. As John Colassi was the colorist, and I, I felt the the coloring went on perfect for dream sequences and with Gleason and Gray's art. And uh, I really enjoyed the colors in this book. Yeah, what about you, Laura? Do you think this is? I mean, do you think this is just going to be thrown in the carpet and uh, forgotten like it has in the past, or do you think I'd it's like going to? Well, I'd like to hope not, but we'll have to see. But as, as we've been saying, the rumor of Damien dying. But yeah. I'm liking, like, I'm hoping not with the amount, as we said earlier, how much closer they've gotten since, like, number one, or even Batman and Son back in the day when they first met. They've uh, developed the relationship between Bruce and Damien so much that I'm hoping it will stick around pretty much. All right, and what would you give it out of five? Probably a four out of five. 
Kisses said I love the art, like uh Damien Scowl will probably never ever get old to me. <laughs> <laughs> Just it's like it's so nice to see Bruce getting a taste of his own medicine. But um yeah, and the story I really as I as um Terence said, I'd I'd read a few few things about it and was a bit like, Oh, it's gonna be kind of a pointless issue but then I I read it and I really, really enjoyed it as a aftermath to death of the family. It kind of took on Damien's point of view and even Alfred and Bruce's in a retrospect and kind of put a different spin on their reactions and playing off of the death of the family, which I enjoyed. Alright, cool. And Tim, what would you give it? I would probably give it uh, three and a half uh, 1960s Batman toys we're not going to buy out of five. (laughs) (laughs) Alright, and I would probably give this a four out of five 60s toys 60s Batman toys that I would just never buy because they just look so awkward and uh, unappealing. Um, Alright, so background number 17. Uh, Terrence, why don't you start us off on this one? Alright, so this was the first issue not written by Gail Simone, written by this Fox guy, Ray Fox. Uh, i got to be careful how I say that. Uh, <laughs> kind of like, <laughs> in a couple of weeks, I'm going to be teaching the kids about Guy Fox, and i got to always be careful how I say that. Uh, and uh, But um, I get to show them some cool V for Vendetta stuff. So, but um, And I even have a Guy Fox pop hero, not to get wildly off task here. But anyway, um, the issue starts off with some dialogue and in you know, back in the old days, they would have a character thinking and have those bubbles. Now everything is boxes. But it it seemed a little awkward, and right away I could tell it was a different writer because it's talking about Batgirl. So you think it's Batgirl's thoughts, but then it's talking about Batgirl. So you're kind of like, well, who who is this saying this stuff here? Um, and then you find out that at the end it's her brother. So that I always thought was kind of a little awkward. I, I kind of missed Gail Simone a little bit uh, on this one. Um, and they kind of... They, they they have a lot in this book. They touch on that guy Ricky, and uh, Barbara meets him, um, even though he has no idea who she is because um, she's Batgirl. When the other times that they've met, although you would think that he'd recognize the hair, but oh well. Uh, and then they touch on her mother in the hospital and and uh, Commissioner Gordon. Uh, and the one the one artwork scene I really liked is they have a, a scene of James Jr. sitting on the edge of his bed uh, and with his cell phone, and it looks right out of uh, year one where James Gordon was sitting on the edge of the bed with his wife in, in that. Um, who was pregnant, I believe, in that picture. And then they also they use that in Death of the Family. There's a, a scene, I forget which issue, um, but Greg Capullo drew that where James Gordon is sitting on the edge of the bed. I think he's looking at pictures. Uh, so they've kind of done that callback to year one a couple times, uh, and I like that. Um, but then it, it gets, I, I don't know, for me it got a little muddled a little bit with Batgirl kind of going to all these different safe houses um, and... Um, then all of a sudden this guy comes out with this huge, looks like a flamethrower starting the fires. And I, at first I thought, oh, this is cool. This is the new 52 Firefly. But yeah. then he says, call me Firebug. So then I was like, is this just a ripoff of Firefly, who's not really the <laughs> greatest villain to rip off to begin with? or is, So that kind of was just kind of like, gave me one of those kind of like, well, what is this? And it ends with him sort of shooting some fire at Batgirl. So, you know, I, I this issue made me feel bad for anything bad I said about Gail Simone and 
made me realize that I, I really wanted Gail Simone writing this book and I'm glad she's coming back. And, um, not that this was that bad, but it just to me was kind of mediocre. Um, so I would give this, um, three, I'd go three. Yeah. Let's go three out of five. 1960s Batman toys I will not be buying, including the action figure of Milton Burrow as Louis the Lilac. Um, <laughs> yeah. He's going to be the rare figure of the bunch. Yes, yeah, he's the chase edition, yeah, but I will not be buying that, so I'll throw it to you guys. But hey, you, you know what I just realized? Like, how terrible of a person that um, Commissioner Gordon was, or is, because, I mean, he, yeah, he, I mean, he protects Gotham and stuff, he's Batman's right-hand man, but as a person, like, he he cheated on his wife while she was pregnant. Yeah. <laughs> Terrible. <laughs> That's why a lot of people hate Frank Miller, yeah. And it, well, just to show that he's not perfect, like yeah. everyone is. But, but you know, it, it could have gotten written out with the New 52, because we haven't yeah. seen Sarah Essen, so. Yeah. Um, but as for this issue, um, what could I think? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Oh, well, you know, first off, I have to point out that, you know, in the beginning, I really liked seeing Babs hacking into the, the GCPD database or whatever that was. Uh-huh. You know, it's it's kind of the first time we get to see her, and we're kind of reminded of the fact that she was Oracle for at least a little bit of time. Yeah, I got that vibe, too. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I don't know when she was Oracle or for how long, but, I mean, at least it's space that she was Oracle. Um, tangentially, I guess, but um, I was like, you know, that for the most part, the story was told through the eyes of James Jr., and um, it was really, you know, refreshing to see, and, you know, it was a nice break from how Gail Simone tells her stories through Barbara's inner monologue, where she's, you know, she's insecure, and she's fragile, and she's always constantly thinking about uh, getting shot and stuff like that, and I think that I feel closer to Babs through, through James's narration, than I do through, you know, the entire 16 issues of Babs' inner monologue um, that Gail Simone did. It just feels to me like Babs seems stronger. She seems more like like Batman or more like an actual threat and not getting mortally wounded every every other issue. You know, she, she just seems stronger. Um, and, you know, he, even though I, re- I didn't really care for Ricky back when he was introduced, when he got his leg chopped off, you know, with that bear trap, um... I really like how Ray Fox used him in this issue. I mean, yeah, it kind of seems like he's there just to be there, but, you know, I actually liked catching up with him and how Babs almost blows her secret identity with him. And it was also great to see, you know, Gordon and the GCPD actually doing some work, you know, by by rounding up the, the remnants of the Joker gang rather than, you know, just relying on the Bat family to do it for them, you know. It's always great to see Gordon and the and the GCPD actually be effective, and not just getting killed and stuff like that. Um, and you know, I kind of touched on this point before, but I also liked how Fox used James Jr. as a spectator. I mean, if you look at the cover, you would have thought that James and ba- James and Babs were going to face off, but you know, James as a passive observer, you know, kind of kind of works out really well you know he's not the focus of the story just getting his plan together or whatever he's he's a part of the story but he's telling it and i really like that that sort of plot device but um you know my only complaint for this issue is the the whole firebug thing 
I mean, again, I don't know what James's plan is, but I don't know if the firebug thing is the way to tell it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but, you know, besides that, I really like the issue. And now I kind of wish, you know, Ray Fox was on the book permanently because I really like how he writes. Um, so I'm probably going to give this a three and a half out of five uh, 60s toys that we're just probably not going to buy. Or if we do, we're just going to keep it in storage. Um, <laughs> but, waste our money. <laughs> yeah, waste our money. Uh, but Tim. Yeah, for this one, kind of more of agreement with Terrence as far as where he said it was a lot going on. And it kind of got muddled, a lot of stuff. I mean, like it starts off, we're seeing Babs not explosion. Then we see her giving that information to the police. We see James Gordon in the hospital. Then we see uh, James calling Barbara. We see these crooks who are waiting for the Joker that Babs takes out in this uh, apartment hideout. Then we got that whole firebug thing. So it just seemed like a lot was going on. And I don't know what happened to him. It's just what, since Scott Snyder stopped writing uh, James Jr., but he just annoys me now for some reason. <laughs> just everybody pops up. He just... It's just annoying to me, just looking at him. <laughs> There's something about him now that's different about than what Scott Snyder was doing, where it just like maybe he should have just left him for that one story. And it's kind of seemed like, well, his that story was so good, we got to use him again, and it's just not working for me anyway. Just his schemes and just his whole personality and attitude now. I just this just, just annoys me a lot. <laughs> so um, this one I wasn't too crazy about. It wasn't horrible, but there's just too much going on with it. So I'd probably just give this one two and a half 1960s Batman toys that we're not going to buy out of five. <laughs> so kind of like All your right. parents, I'm waiting for Gail Simone to come back to. <laughs> yeah. Who would have ever thought we'd say that? <laughs> <laughs> Am I the only one that likes Ray Fox on this book? <laughs> so, uh, <Sorry. laughs> Why don't you tell us what you think, Laura, about this issue? Um, well, you guys pretty much said it all. Um, as you said, with the the uh, Babs almost touching upon, like, you could almost relate her to being Oracle. I like that kind of thing. But as Tim said, with the kind of using James Gordon Jr. just for the sake of using it, I kind of felt that a lot in the issue. And it, probably the same, really, that I miss him being written by Snyder in Black Mirror just because he was so gratifying to read in that, really. Um, plus, it seems a bit patchy. And I would... Uh, along with the um, point of view with the dialogue boxes that confused me a little bit but as we've all said and I still can't even believe I'm saying it too I can't wait for Girls and Moon to come back <laughs> <laughs> and what would you rate it? Um, probably a 2.5 of 1960s Batman toys that we would probably be suckers to buy <laughs> <laughs> All right, so that moves us on to February 20th, where we got Nightwing um, number 17, Red Hood and the Outlaws number 17, Catwoman number 17, Batwoman number 17, Batman Beyond Limited number 13, and Justice League number 17. Um, and I guess I'll start us off with a really quick review of Catwoman number 17. <laughs> uh, good. Yeah, it was crap. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know what's going on. Uh, zero Batman 1960s toys that we're gonna not buy <laughs> out, of, out of five. And guess uh, what villain's gonna be introduced at the end? Oh, geez. Uh, so hard to wonder. Uh, Penguin? Which one? <laughs> yeah, yeah, you got it, Tim. How did you ever figure that out? 
Well, it's because he's not in any other book, so he's kind of due to make an appearance in another title, isn't he? Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, yeah, so zero out of five. Um, so, <laughs> yeah, let's just notice off that. I guess I'm going to start off with Nightwing number 17. And kind of like Batman and Robin, I thought this was a, another nice follow-up to the whole aftermath of Death of the Family, just getting Dick's perspective this time. I just like how it showed that Dick is kind of put on this uh, false attitude kind of saying, telling everyone, I'm okay, I'm okay, I can handle it. Just to the different aspects of what's going on in his life, he's kind of reassuring people that it's not affecting him. He kind of feels he has to be that rock of the bad family where nothing gets to him. I just like the moments he had with Alfred in the beginning and then at the uh, hospital where all the members of the circus family are recovering. And just that one guy saying that we're all going to leave. And, but then he gets kind of that reassurance of that little girl who he told he would protect, kind of saying that that's not your fault. You, you shouldn't be worrying about it. And then I also liked how Dick just ends every conversation he has with everyone. Yeah, I'm going to be fine or I'm going to be okay. Just putting that up where you know he's not. Then he has the conversation with Barbara and uh, Sonya Zuko. He's kind of telling them the same thing. And kind of like how he's kind of confiding in Barbara where it's like, is the Joker, I got to have this attitude, otherwise the Joker's kind of going to win. That's what he's saying is true. It's going to make me weak. But at the same time, it is you see that it is bothering him, and we see it all come to fruition when, we see that uh, team of uh, people trying to search through the ruins of the circus and kind of recover all the items that may be lost in the fire that when it got burned down and just Dick goes all out and just beats all of them up without any restraint, it seems like. It wasn't until Damien comes in and tries to stop him. I just like how uh, Damien was kind of following him throughout this whole issue. Um, unknowingly, Dick, Dick doesn't know that he's there, but Damien's kind of watching him and seeing how he's reacting to this whole death of the family aftermath. I just like kind of how to tie it in a little bit to the relationship that they have as Batman and Robin in the beginning uh, before the new 52, even though it's still in this continuity. We haven't heard too much uh, of them mentioning that time as Dick as Batman and Damien as Robin. So it's kind of nice that they harken back to that because you would expect Damien to still have that connection with Dick uh, when he was Robin to Dick's Batman. So that was pretty cool. I liked how that played out. And then we'll see how this next storyline starts with this guy, the dealer, as he's collecting all these memorabilia from criminals, and we see in the background a bunch of uh, talons, masks, and weapons. And the cliffhanger is that he's, they pull out the flying Grayson's uniform that it looks like it has the Joker smile on there in red paint or blood, who knows? But I'm curious to see how this is going to tie in with this new guy, the dealer. And probably gonna, Dick's probably not going to have a time to mourn or relax anytime soon because it's going to move on right to the next problem that he's going to have to deal with. So, yeah, I like this issue. I'd probably give it three and a half. 1960s Batman toys that we're not going to buy out of five. I just realized I didn't read this. <laughs> I mean, I bought it, but I guess I didn't see it. It got buried in all your other comics. <laughs> yeah. Um, but let's go with Terrence. Yeah, this issue was not that memorable because um, when you said, all right, Nightwing 17, I was kind of like, well, what happened in this? What happened? I couldn't remember. And then I, I pulled it up here digitally, and then I saw I didn't even remember the cover. And then when I, I opened it up, I'm like, oh, okay, I remember. So, you know, it was okay, um, but it wasn't anything where I was like, oh, I can't wait to talk about this. Um, the art, I like the way this guy – I don't know if I've ever seen much of this guy before. Juan Jose RYP, I think, or RIP. Um, I'm not sure how you would say that. But I, I thought his faces were a little off to me. Like it, it just seemed like they had extra lines and the lips were a little too big or something. Yeah, I mean, I agree with that. Yeah, yeah. It's hard for me to criticize that because I can't even draw a stick figure, you know, straight. <laughs> but 
But there was just something that was a little just different. It didn't really look like Dick Grayson to me. But I got kind of used to it at the end, so that wasn't that big a deal. Um, and, uh, you know, overall, it, he was really good, although I didn't think there was anything that spectacular that he was drawing. But it was pretty solid. Um, and I did like the uh, interaction. I like how Nightwing kind of had an edge. I like how this is a good uh you know, a good story after death of the family and he's angry and he's taking it out on people. And he's, he's, he's not just that fun loving acrobat that we saw in like issue one. Um, and uh, so I thought that was good character development. Um, and then I did like, uh, Dick Grayson, um, Damien interaction. And it is a good kind of callback to when they were Batman and Robin, but it'd be nice if they maybe talked about that or just brought it up. It's kind of like, it's the whole, fact that Dick Grayson was Batman is just kind of let's forget that ever happened kind of thing. It'd be cool if he said, remember when you were, you know, Batman and we went after Professor Pig or something? And that just might be the nerd in me screaming out wanting that stuff. But, um, you know, it, it'd be nice. Um, and uh, I I felt bad for Kyle Higgins because I listened to him. He was on uh, the Fat Man on Batman podcast and he was talking to Kevin Smith and he was talking about this issue actually and this big reveal of like uh, Damien uh, uh, when Dick says something to him like oh, you're pretty smart for a oh, he says you're pretty smart for a kid you know that and Damien's like for a kid and uh, Kyle Higgins was like saying that to Kevin Smith like the big reveal and like Kevin Smith just had like no reaction he's like oh okay and then he was like saying some other stuff about where Grayson the name Grayson came from and Kevin Smith it was like he wasn't even listening to him so I felt a little bad for but then they started talking movie stuff and then they got into like all this movie equipment and no Batman stuff but all about like what kind of equipment he shot his student film on so um but i did like the end now this guy the dealer he was in a scott snyder's detective comics run is that correct is he the same guy who was at that auction i think so yeah I'm pretty around. sure it was yeah there was, okay if not it was someone pretty similar because <laughs> it's kind of like the same thing auctioning off criminal like memorabilia and weapons stuff so that's what I thought, but I just hadn't had time to open up the long box and check that out. But um, and it kind of had a good ending. Kind of um, the the thing that I want to know is, you know, he's auctioning off all this like hero stuff. You see Catwoman's whip and penguins, or vil- hero and villains. Cat looks like penguins umbrellas and all this talent stuff and uh, a gun, which I wonder what actually that gun is from. And then so, what's the connection of the flying Graysons to all that? Do now people know that? Dick Grayson is a, a Nightwing, or is it just that they were a famous uh, acrobatic duo, duo that died? So, um, be interesting to see. Uh, but like I said, it was kind of forgettable. I kind of forgot that I read this until I had to look it up again, and uh, Dane had forgot he read it or didn't read it either. So, uh, you know, it wasn't wasn't bad, wasn't great. I, so, I would give this three. Uh, 1960s toys that I will not be buying, including the Adam West belly and eyebrow kit. So, <laughs> oh man, that's coming. <laughs> yeah, nothing's better than those eyebrows on a Batman mask. <laughs> um, what do you think of this one? Um, I'm a bit mixed as well. Um, I liked it a lot better than I've liked some of the previous issues, and I felt that Dick's um characterisation is a lot better than it's been and it kind of worked off the different family quite well uh, I also as you said with Damien I liked the fact that it was kind of you could kind of look at it and be like oh I kind of remember the old Batman and Robin yeah. just before the movies too but then obviously it's oh wait was he actually Batman or are we just remembering this but um, 
the same with the art as well. I was a bit, some of it I was a bit like put off by. It kind of reminds me of the guy who drew the Arkham City comics. I don't know if it's similar style or what, but it really reminded me of that. But yeah, I'm about the same with it myself. But I'd probably rate it like probably a three out of five of 1960s Batman toys, including, as you said, the Batman with the eyebrows, who I'm pretty sure has better eyebrows than I do. <laughs> so, and you guys read a I know you haven't read it Terrence uh, Lloyd have you read Batman Beyond that series since it started in the new 52 I can't say I have uh, I'm reading a review now though <laughs> I'm still the only one darn it. <laughs> one day I'm just oh. going to download them all digitally I'll, I'll go like a marathon but um, yeah, that wasn't this week <laughs> it's definitely worth it I mean for this issue number 13 Right when I opened up and I saw the first page, I'm ready. I was ready to give it. So I'm going to give it a five out of five <laughs> because what it is, it's showing us the aftermath of uh, what happened in Return of the Joker after that whole flashback sequence, which is something I've been dying to see since that movie. Just showing how they all reacted to when that whole situation was over. Because it starts out, we see Barbara carrying Tim into the Batmobile, still as the Joker and still laughing, and she just gives him the formula kind of to calm him down. And then in the movie, they said we buried Joker in Arkham, and the only person who knew about it was uh, Commissioner Gordon. And we actually see that happen in this issue. We see them burying the Joker, and then we see the Batman talking to the Commissioner, saying, like, he won't tell anyone. And he was kind of saying, the Commissioner was saying, like, we can't keep doing this if any of the villains die. And this kind of prompts Batman into doing, to develop something in the future, which, which this next storyline in Batman Beyond is going to play off of. But it was just great seeing this. And it would also show this is where Barbara actually left being Batgirl, and then she was actually going to reveal herself to Commissioner Gordon, and she was going to take her mask off, but then he stops her, saying that he can't handle any more revelations tonight. So we also kind of give a throwback to the Over the Edge episode. Batman asks her, like, why did you do that? Was it because of that dream you had with the Scarecrow? And she's all, yeah, that's part of it. But, like, this is, like, the first step of kind of things where I don't want it to go as Batgirl. So she wants to start doing things as, like, a real police officer now. So I'm just glad it kind of tied in all these missing information that we had is why did Barbara leave being background and become a police officer and later the commissioner. So it's just cool seeing how this, that one event from Return of the Joker had all these ramifications for Batman, Robin, and Batgirl in the animated series. It's just really awesome to see. But the story, the main story in this one is where because of Commissioner Gordon saying that what happens when all these villains die, we don't want them to be a martyr for anyone else to use as an excuse to do these crimes. So what Batman does, he develops this like high security prison that's underneath the Batcave where we see that he has kept the dead bodies of uh, the villains who've passed like we see a picture of we see Bane in one of the like the morgue tubes and he's kept several other villains there. And what happened was someone broke into that and is stealing some like villain memorabilia and everyone's wondering who it is. And it ends up Bruce calls in uh, Barbara over, and it ends up where they see her on the security camera as her being one going into that location, because only her and Bruce know about it. And But it ends up being where there's this new villain who's able to kind of take mind control over certain people and use them to kind of steal things from him and get what he wants. And he, this guy's after, like I said, villain memorabilia, so his next target is going to be the Flash Museum, which is going to open up, reopen up again. So that's like his... Big like ticket to get a bunch of villain memorabilia, so uh, Batman sends the Justice and teams up with the Justice League Unlimited to go there and stop them. And then it kind of ends off where I don't know if it's actually because there's these villains that come out that are actually humans turned out as gorillas, so we think it is Grodd, but it's actually uh, 
someone else who's kind of turning him into the to the gorillas. So it ends up with him finally confronting that villain. The, the whole Justice League is there, but uh, just the beginning of this issue is really what kind of what's was really cool to see that return of the Joker tie-in. So I would have given it a five based off that storyline, but then we got the continuation of the main Batman Beyond story where he's going against Dana's brother as the Joker King, and that story finally concluded. It was a really good story, but I just didn't like how it ended, where I was expecting this big fight between Batman and uh, Dana's brother, where they finally have this uh, fight where Batman takes him down and he brings him in. But my, probably my complaint about this is that how it ended, Batman again comes in and stops him from uh, – Batman helps Dick, who was fighting this guy, but Batman again gets beat up by this Joker King. I'm just sick of seeing Terry get beat up all the time. <laughs> I just want to see him finally be as Batman should and just take down this criminal without much trouble. But again, he gets beat up, and then the, how it ends is where Dana comes and confronts her brother, and the brother takes her hostage. And he's about to jump off the building, but he ties a rope to his foot so he won't fall, but Dana will. So he jumps off. Him and Dana fall off. Batman saves Dana, but what happens to her brother? He just he's swinging on the rope and he just bumps his head on a pole and he just gets knocked out. So I just thought it was a pretty anticlimactic way to end the storyline. That was pretty good. I was hoping where this would be the revelation where Dana finds out Terry is Batman, but that didn't happen yet. I kind of felt the story was a kind of a good leadway into that because we know that does happen eventually, but nothing really happened there. Then we get another Superman Beyond story where he's held captive by this alien race who thinks they destroyed his world. This story, I think, is kind of... It was fun in the first few issues where we had Lobo to take him in for this race, who hired him, but it's, I don't know, just not really getting into it as much as the other two storylines. It's okay, but not the greatest out of the three Beyond stories going on. So I would give it a five just based on that first storyline, but because the second one with uh, Dana's brother ended in an anticlimactic way, I'm probably just going to give this one four and a half uh, 1960s Batman toys that we're not going to get out of five. But just that whole beginning sequence was awesome, tying into Return of the Joker. Can I ask you, Tim, uh, which, do you know what um, number that is digitally? Like, digitally, which... no. I've been getting just the print copy, so... Okay. Of I won't know the exact number it is on that, but this I issue, of course, was 13, so I'm not sure how that translates into the digital format. Okay. Well, I need to get that, because that is probably one of the greatest Batman movies ever. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And Paul Dini was, and uh, Kevin Smith were just talking all about it on, on the podcast, or at least I just listened to the one where they did, like, the commentary yeah. for Return of the Joker, and that was really great, all the backstories and everything in it. So, yeah, that'll be cool to see. It kind of makes me want to see, like, this, like, just do a whole series based on after that sequence that happened in the movie, showing Batman, like, the fallout he has with everyone after that. Yeah. It kind of reminds me of kind of like Death of the Family, where Joker lost, he died in Joker, but what he did had lasting effects on the Bat family members. Like, even when he loses, he wins, which is what makes the Joker great, too. Yeah. So, yeah, any fans of Return of the Joker, Batman animated series in general, definitely should start reading that title, because it just connects to certain episodes that you just that you want to see more of and just does a great job of doing it. So I know I sound like a broken record talking about this, but it really is great for any fans of the animated series. No, you've actually convinced me I might actually pick that up when I go into work next. <laughs> nice. <laughs> and then you can go back and read all the other ones. <laughs> that sounds good. And uh, this will go into Justice League number 17. Did you read this one, Terrence? I did not read this. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> no, I've read about half of it, but I can't really remember. This was, like, 
after I read Nightwing. I mean, before I read Nightwing, and now I can't really remember. But I'm reading a review to remind myself. Yay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was really not too much Batman in this one anyway. It was the conclusion of uh, Thorn of Atlantis storyline, so yeah. kind of figured it would probably focus more on Aquaman, but... <laughs> I thought it wrapped up the story pretty nicely, though. I didn't expect The Throne of Atlantis to be this sh- short, though. I thought it would last a little longer, but it was really only five parts, or five chapters, anyway. But it did wrap up in a way where, uh, in the last, in the issue of Aquaman, we find out that Ocean Master really wasn't the one responsible for any of these attacks. It was actually uh, one of Iron Man, or <laughs> I don't know why I was saying Iron Man instead of Aquaman. <laughs> <laughs> you can't go in the water, he'll rust. It's the wrong guy. Yeah. <laughs> One of his subjects, who was, uh, we saw him in the first few issues. He was in the Watchtower with uh, Doctor Shin in the previous issues, and it turns out he was the one who activated the missiles to fire in Atlantis to start this whole war because he wanted Arthur to retake the throne, and he felt this would be the way to do it. To, he would stop Orm, take the trident, and then be able to take the throne of Atlantis, which is what Arthur does. He's able to beat beat Orm and it resumes the role as king of Atlantis. But when he finds out that um, that friend of his was the one responsible for it, he was, of course, upset when he just punches him out. And just, The way it ends is that uh, the Justice League pretty much stopped all the Atlanteans and they stopped those uh, creatures from the depths of the ocean who came up. But um, it basically ends with Arthur going back to rule in Atlantis now. So didn't really say he's leaving the Justice League, but he kept saying that he's going to be away for a while is to rule Atlantis because he's going to keep his brother Orm imprisoned here on the surface, so he has to take control of Atlantis again. But the thing I was wondering at the end of this, because I remember in the storyline with the cheetah before this event started, that um, Black Manta, like, he communicated with her in prison, saying, like, she was in place. I thought they were Black Manta was going to have something to do with this whole throne of Atlantis thing, as you would think since he's Aquaman's pretty much arch nemesis, but he was didn't show up anywhere in the storyline, which kind of got me thinking, what was the point of that little tease at the end of that Cheetah arc where he, he talked to Cheetah saying everything's in place? So that never really played out in the Stone of Atlantis story. So overall, I thought it ended good, and then with Arthur gone back to Atlantis, Batman tells the rest of the Justice League members, we need to uh, expand our ranks more. So it looks like there are going to be more members of the Justice League. It's kind of setting up Justice League of America, too, because in the last few panels, we see Amanda Waller looking at photos of the members that are going to be in Justice League of America. Then we see some mystery villain who's looking at photos of villains. It looks like it's going to set up the secret society. So it's like all teams in the DC universe are going to be expanding their ranks. So we'll see how this all plays out in the future. So I'd probably give this issue for 1960s Batman toys or not. (laughs) It wrapped up the whole Thorn of Atlantis storyline pretty good, which I thought for the most part was a pretty good story for Justice League. So, good conclusion. Yeah, the one the one thing I did notice from what I saw of it was, um, what's his name again? I can't remember who's on art, but he did so well at um, cramming so many people into so little pages. Yeah. But I, it, it, yeah. it could have been such a mess, but he somehow managed to play it off, which was quite worked quite well with that story. Yeah, he has these awesome splash pages where, like you said, everyone's fighting fighting it out, and it doesn't look cluttered or anything. It, just, it looks epic is how he draws it. So, yeah, the artwork is awesome on this one, too. And to, uh, uh, I know Laura still needs to give her rating for this, but what did you guys think of uh, the big news of Jeff Johns leaving Green Lantern? Uh, I got depressed when I heard that. <laughs> did that make you cry? The one thing in comics that made you cry? <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, for nine years he was on the title. I mean, what he did to that character is going to be forever remembered, definitely. Yeah, the whole universe, the whole yeah. other cores and everything, it's pretty amazing that he did that. What do you think, Laura? That title is going to take an impact from that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, that yeah, he's he's cemented the ground for Green Lantern pretty much, so it's going to be sad to see him go off that. I know, I just hope the quality doesn't dip too far down from what he was bringing, because I don't know it's going to be about the same, but hopefully it'll still be some entertaining stories we'll get out of it. Yeah. He just had such a great handle. I just loved how he wrote, you know, Hal Jordan and Sinestro recently, and then before that, Hal Jordan and just all the different cores and just how he weaved all that together. He really had a... This amazing way to to make these big, huge, epic stories in outer space and all these aliens, but yet have this like human core with Hal and the whole thing with his origin and his father and like little moments where like Hal is like sleeping outside the Air Force Academy or the Air Force Recruiting Center to recruit as soon as they open and like just those little touches that he could write in a story were um, really amazing stuff. So yeah, he'll be missed. Yeah, to say the least. <laughs> <laughs> but at least it's not like he's retiring. He'll be writing other books. It'll just be not Green Lantern. But so, even more more than Green Lantern, I loved his um, Justice Society of America uh, run. His uh, JSA run was yeah. amazing too. Yeah, Laura still had to give her her rating. How many uh, oh, six okay. Batman toys she will not buy for it? Probably <laughs> uh, three out of five nineteen sixties Batman toys that I won't buy, and definitely won't consider buying. <laughs> even All with right, your discount so yeah. even with my discount <laughs> alright so that moves us on to Red Hood and the Outlaws number 17 um, Tim did you read this one yeah I didn't think I was going to get any more Red Hood issues but I saw the cover for this one and it was going to be a Death of the Family kind of aftermath issue so I thought I'd pick it up but the cover oh. was awesome though <laughs> All right, so tell us about the story. Did you like it? No, I'm just going to stick with the cover. The cover is good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I thought it was pretty good. I didn't like it as much as uh, the Nightwing and Batman and Robin one, but it was good to see Jason's perspective as far as what everything, not everything that's happened after Death of the Family. He had some good interaction with uh, Damien in this one, but I think the best line in this whole issue is when uh, Roy Harper and uh, Starfire come. And then uh, Damien looks at him. He goes, that hat looks stupid. Who are you supposed to be, redneck man? <laughs> it's not a good insult to Roy Harper because his costume is pretty stupid. <laughs> he has that hat and then he has that armor. That's supposed to be like Green Arrow except that it's red. So <laughs> it was a good jab at him. Then, yeah, Damien, or not Damien, but seeing Jason interact with Bruce I thought was pretty good. Kind of saying him that Jason was kind of conflicting himself, was kind of even wanting to speak with Bruce. But then Bruce knew he was there, so he had to talk to him. <laughs> and then he asked Bruce, kind of like, I asked to know about the Joker, what he said to me earlier, did he create me, and all that stupid stuff that happened in the Red Hood Zero issue. And Bruce reassures him, saying, no, Jason, he didn't make you. Then he's saying, like, I didn't, I didn't make you either. You're your own man and all that. But it kind of makes me think, is that just the, does Jason think that just Bruce saying that because everything that's happened, death of the family, that brings up the whole thing again, what Joker told him, could they really trust Bruce now? But in the monologue, Jason does believe it. He says in his head, I'll never say this to Bruce out loud, but uh, thanks for saying that. So it looks like he is trusting Bruce when he says that. 
then there was a pretty cool moment with Alfred right before the big thing at the end happens with Jason. Alfred kind of asking him just, just to stay still, and then we see Jason in his room kind of getting flashbacks of his first night staying there. That was pretty cool to see. And then the big reveal at the end is when he puts on the Red Hood mask, and there's a hologram of that Joker that comes out that only he can see. And then it ends up happening to him that uh, some gas starts spraying out into his mask, and he starts screaming, and everyone hears it. So Batman comes rushing in and takes the helmet off. Then he just sees that his face is kind of burnt up. It doesn't look too bad now, but as we saw in that other issue, I think it's issue 19 that's going to come out, that where his face looks really messed up. But in this last panel shot, it doesn't look too bad. So I wonder if it's progressively going to get worse or not. So it was a pretty good issue. I'd probably go ahead and give it three out of five uh, 1960s Batman toys we're never going to get. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, uh, Laura, did you read this? I did. I, yeah, I quite enjoyed it, but as I said, I um, I didn't enjoy it as much as the Batman and Robin on the Nightwing follow-ons from Different Family. One bit that did make me laugh, though, was um, Roy playing baseball with um, Damien, and he, he says, toss it back to me, and Damien's like, for what purpose? <laughs> that made <laughs> yeah, me chuckle right. a little bit. <laughs> but, um, yeah, it was quite nice to, to look into the whole Jason that uh, Bruce kind of relationship in the new future too because who knows where anyone stands anymore but um, yeah I'm, I'm pretty much the same and I'll probably give it a 3 out of 5 of 1960s toys I will never buy <laughs> <laughs> um, Terrence alright I had a, a couple things with this issue um, I, overall I, I pretty much enjoyed it starting with the cover like Tim said it's a great cover now it's the cover's a callback to the death in the family, um, uh, not cover, but that artwork of, of Batman holding the dead Jason Todd Robin. But it's very similar. If you look at Batman Annual number 25, there's, a, there's another cover that yeah. was very similar of Batman holding the red hood in that same pose. This one is much more graphic with blood coming out of the head and the mouth. And there's a reflection of Robin in this. So, you know, I'm not sure if this was supposed to be a callback to that annual, but it's it's very similar. Um, but I still thought it was an awesome cover. Um, and then um, I, 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 I'm very curious with this to know how much of Jason Todd's past pre-52 is now in New 52. And I, I as much as like, I might, as a, a total nerd, hate them like, redoing stuff and all that, the idea of retconning, I almost wish they would just totally retcon Jason Todd and, and really just take out a lot of the stuff that he did because, you know, the one scene here he meets with Bruce in the Batcave and Bruce is just like, well, you know, I, I, I'm never going to approve of your methods, Jason, but I can't argue with your results. And it's kind of like, well, well, what methods are you talking about? That when he tried to kill you all those times when he was, you know, in, in the Red Hood where he, he became, he uh, decapitated all the leaders of the crime families and then took over their business and was, you know, built making money from the crime family so he could kill you and you know I mean Red Hood has done a lot of awful stuff so hopefully they're sort of retconning that and making him more closer to a, a Robin who's just a little more violent and stuff um, but it's interesting the other thing that I was interested in is the whole relationship with Dick and Starfire <laughs> because in the first issue of Red Hood and the Outlaws they made it like she had like no memory and he's like um uh, Jason Todd told Roy Harper, uh, hey, you know, ask her about that little group you guys were in. She has no memory of it. 
kind of referring to the Titans, but now we've learned that the Titans never existed with, you know, the Teen Titans, I guess. So it's just, it's very muddled with all what, but then they, in here they kind of have it that Dick and Starfire have some kind of past and he doesn't want to see her, but he wants Jason to protect her. So it's kind of a, kind of a weird thing. And uh, I look forward to them clarifying all that and to finding out what exactly took place. The thing I did find a little weird is uh, uh, Roy Harper and Starfire pull up in a car and um, the first thing uh, Damien notices is uh, Arsenal's uh, hat and he's like, what's up with that hat? Like this half-naked alien woman comes out (laughs) and he's like, yo, and he notices the trucker hat. So that was kind of a little, but he is 10, so maybe it's a little too young, but still. um, And then the the stuff with Damien and Roy Harper was hilarious with the whole football thing and fighting and all that. I I enjoyed that in here. Um, And I, I, if this is the direction they're going with Jason Todd, with him being um, nostalgic of his past and being much more, you know, closer to the Bat family and all that, I, I do like that. I prefer him to be sort of like the prodigal son as opposed to a villain. Um, and then the whole stuff with the Joker, like I said earlier, I, I think this was really good way um, to end Death of the Family, where there actually is something permanent, um, something that is somebody's been scarred from it. So, um, and the artwork of the Adrian CF, I got never say his name right, but I never say anyone's name right, so it's okay. Um, was was good. So um, overall, I would give this uh, four Batman 1960s toys that I will not be buying, including the Catwoman figure that comes with three interchangeable heads, so you could have it be the Meriwether, Julie Newmar, or Arthur Kitt. So. <laughs> I think that toy will definitely be a reality, probably. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> then I'll just leave it. There'll be like an Earther Kit head lying around in my floor or something. All right. So, Terrence, why don't you tell us about Lil Gotham and what's going on with that book? All right. Well, first, I learned this week that it's called Little Gotham and not Little Gothams, as I've been calling it. My wife gets mad at me because I plural things that aren't supposed to be plural all the time, which drives her nuts. And then I do it on purpose just to drive her nuts. But um, this one was number five, and it was the Valentine's Day issue. And once again, um, you know, this is for kids. It's for a younger crowd, uh, but it's enjoyable for anyone who wants just a little change of pace. And uh, Dustin Nguyen, I, I love his art, and I still would like to know if he's doing – painting these because it looks like it's a watercolor painting, um, but it may not be. It may just be how it's colored. But this one was the Valentine's Day issue, um, and it revolved around the Joker trying to uh, get away from Harley Quinn, who is um, ready to celebrate Valentine's Day with Mr. J. So um, his plan is to try to go to Poison Ivy and find some kind of potion or something that he can put on Harley to get her to leave him alone. And instead, he drops some pheromones on him that makes him irresistible to all women. And so Poison Ivy chases after him, and then Catwoman chases after him, and then Talia Ghoul chases after him, and then um, Zatanya chases after him, and um, Roxy uh, on the rocket chases after him. And uh, it's, it's pretty funny, and it's got a lot of uh, jokes. And then finally, um, it, it ends with him being saved by the Huntress, and Damien comes up and saying that Valentine's Day is a disgusting holiday, and why am I not even in this book? You know, I'll be back on February 24th. Um, but what, what was fun was um, my step 
daughter, who's seven, was kind of freaking out uh, two nights ago, wouldn't go to bed. So I pulled up this issue and I read it to her, uh, and she just loved it. Like At first she wasn't saying a word, and I was thinking, like, oh, maybe she doesn't like this. And she, right as soon as we got done, she's like, read me another, read me another. So we read uh, the Halloween one, and then the next night we read the other three, the Thanksgiving, the Christmas, and the New Year's Eve one. Uh, so she just absolutely loved these comics and um, was totally into it. So it's definitely fun because you can't, you know, break out, you know, death of the family and show that to a seven-year-old. Or I mean, well, you can, but you'll be, you know, <laughs> she'll be talking about you in therapy for the rest of her life. So, uh, so these are these were fun. And um, what I like is even though it's four kids and even though it's kind of silly and goofy and fun, it stays true to all the characters. And Dustin Nguyen's art is just beautiful with all his paintings. So um, for what it is and, and what it is and, and the enjoyment I got out of reading it with my kids, I would give this five out of five um, Batman 1960s toys that we will not be buying, including the very hard-to-get limited edition Vincent Price as Egghead statue. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think that's going to be the one I do buy. Okay. Got to have yeah. Egghead. <laughs> All right, so that leads us into Batwoman. Um, I actually wrote notes for this, but like they're <laughs> wow, it's 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 like a long review. <laughs> uh, and you know, I never write reviews. I mean, um, uh, notes. I come fully unprepared, right? <laughs> <laughs> I think we all do. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, first off, our sister. What's what's going on with that? That that just blew my mind. I mean, I don't even know what to think about that. Um, I mean, did the colonel have a out of marriage kid? Did he? Um, I mean, a, am I misinterpreting uh, Bones, or is Bones lying? <laughs> I mean, I I just don't know what what to think about this. Um, you know, so so I can't wait to see where this goes, and I'm glad to see Alice back and. Um, the main thing for me was that I realized that this entire run, which spans 17 issues, was mostly about Kate and her relationships. I mean, especially with this anticlimactic ending where it's, you know, it's um, Medusa kind of takes off herself at the end. And yeah, I mean, I, I just, I love this issue. I love this run. And I'm not going to bore you with everything that I've written down here. So, um, <laughs> yeah, I just loved it. And the, and the most surprising thing was that um, Kate reveals herself to to Maggie, and says that she wants to marry Maggie. Which I thought, I thought we were going to be stuck in this. You know, um, uh, I love her, but I I can't tell her who I am. Think for however many issues until Maggie dies. Um, but you know, I was surprised to see that she reveals herself and that you know she's opening up to Maggie and then wants to marry Maggie. I mean, I don't know if that's a joke or not, but, you know, if it if it is, I mean, if it isn't, you know, I, I think Maggie's going to die in these these next couple of issues. Because, I mean, how many times in comics history has has a romantic romantic relationship lasted? And, you know, I, I but but I still can't wait to see where it goes. So, um, yeah, I love this issue. I love this arc. It was the perfect way to end this in this story. Um and Williams and Blackman gave me exactly what I wanted with this issue and this arc. And I can't wait to buy it in, in a trade paperback again. Um, so I'm probably going to give this five out of five. Um, 
What was our thing? 60s Batman toys. Oh, right. (laughs) (laughs) Five out of five uh, 60s Batman toys that we're not going to buy because they look terrible. So uh, let's go with Terrence. (laughs) Terrence, what did you think? Yeah, I I had very similar feelings about this issue uh, as you um, did, Dane. Um, And I'm very curious, especially at the end there, and I did not know this, but I was—I learned recently what they when Injustice um, came out, um, got Injustice Gods Among Us, where Lois Lane died. That I guess the term for killing the hero's girlfriend is to fridge them, which I didn't know that. But I guess it all goes back to Green Lantern when he came home and found his girlfriend in the refrigerator, and people have kind of used that way too much. Uh, so hopefully Maggie will not be fridged because I really like her. I've liked her all the way back from when she was in Superman comics back in the 90s. Um, and I definitely hope that uh, Batwoman, when she says marry me, Mags, is not just joking or not just kind of saying that. I hope that's real. And one thing I'll, I'll give DC Comics a lot of credit for is that I feel like they've handled homosexual characters and um, the whole uh, just the the ups and downs of having a homosexual relationship and uh very very they've done that very well and they've shown you know both sides of it with like Renee Montoya they they handled her really well but they also showed how like her family um turned her back on her and she had you know substance abuse problems dealing with um being um uh mistreated at the police force and and some of the hazing that went on because of it so they've handled that really well and they've handled it really well with batwoman so i'm hoping that maybe it'll it'll be part of the storyline maybe you know i wonder if gay marriage legal in gotham city or is that going to become an issue and you know and it also deals with the the children you know maggie has kids and will that be kind of an issue uh so hopefully it's not just a joke or a throwaway line hopefully it'll become part of the story and they'll kind of use that to to deal with some more adult themes and some topics that are um you know in the news and then the end with alice coming back and i just noticed it now that that sarcophagus has a pentagram with a um the eye of Horus in the center which is right on the cover for the May solicitation so um hopefully there'll be some connection and uh yeah this this book it just it, it just keeps getting better and better so i i can't wait to uh just keep reading more of it um and i would i would give this 5 out of 5 the uh, 1960s Batman toys that we will not be buying, which does not include Batgirl with her motorcycle, because I love the Batgirl motorcycle from that show. So I would buy that one, but I don't think I would buy the Chief O'Hara uh, action figure <laughs> when that comes out, because that's just too much. But who am I kidding? I'll end up buying all this stuff anyway. So. <laughs> yeah, and I have to say before Laura gets into her review, um, what a beautiful cover for this issue, as it has been in past issues. Um, but Laura, what what do you what did you think about this entire run, seventeen issue run, and this issue? Well, I, I really really enjoyed it. I, I love how strong the series Batwoman is. It's really really underrated because I know lots of people that kind of they pick and choose their Batman books and they they avoid it because I think oh it's just another Batman time. But you can kind of read Batwoman. And she has her own little corner of Gotham, which I really like. Uh, this issue, I was happy and sad all at the same time, the same time even. Um, really happy, as you said, with the uh, whole marriage proposal thing, which I'm hoping, as you guys said as well, that it's not a joke. And I'm thinking if any book could do a strong, like, a successful marriage story where they were actually 
they handled it well, I think it would be Batwoman, because they've handled quite a lot of issues that other comics kind of brush over really well. But I was also really sad because, obviously, J.H. Williams is uh, leaving us on art, the art front for a while. But we have Trevor McCarthy, who we know can draw rather well with that. But, um, yeah, I really enjoyed it. And as we said, with the whole the bones thing, I was kind of like, what? And then I've heard some people did ask Trevor, um, Trevor McCarthy, did ask J.H. Williams if it was a... Um, typo but he said no so I'm quite intrigued as to where that will go with the next uh, story up but overall with the art and how strong the story this has been and how much I love Kate Kane definitely a 5 out of 5 of 1960s Batman toys that none of us would be caught dead by (laughs) (laughs) and can I just say one more thing too which I forgot to mention the colouring in this book was amazing Dave Stewart I mean there's I, I bought it digitally and I might even just pick up the paper one if I can uh, just for it. There's some colors I don't think I've ever even seen these colors <laughs> before and they're just amazing and, and it just blew me away. That uh, I don't know if you guys had the paper or the digital but in on digital, on the computer they just look fantastic. Yeah, yeah I would say definitely buy the entire run. Uh, <laughs> you know, in paper. <laughs> Alright, so I guess oh, go ahead. No, no, I was just going to say, J.H. Williams has definitely somewhere along the line sold his soul for the art talent he has got. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> definitely. Um, so I guess that's it, right? Unless there was anything else you guys wanted to mention. The only thing I'll mention real quick is just that um, the Injustice Gods Among Us uh, digital comics that have been coming out have been really good so far. It's a really good Elseworld stories. I mean, Terrence alluded to it with the whole Superman and Lois Lane being murdered thing that happened, but um, it's definitely a good Elseworld story that will kind of give you some shocks as to what some of the characters do <laughs> and what happens to them in there. So I haven't read the last two issues yet. I've read up to part four, so I have to catch up. But so far, it's been really good. I've been really enjoying it. That's one to check out. All right, cool. So uh, with that, I guess we're done, Tim. We're finally done. <laughs> All right, done. Yeah. <laughs> um, you can check out our host site, The Batman Universe, at thebatmanuniverse.net, on Facebook at facebook.com slash thebatmanuniverse, or on Twitter, and the handle is at batmanuniverse. Um, Laura, did you want to give your uh, webs- or your blog and your Twitter? Oh, yeah, go on. Uh, my blog's Bats Don't Kill Babbles at uh, com, and my Twitter's at Bats Don't Kill. All right, cool. You don't kill bats, but... If you're an ant, Lara's going to kill you. <laughs> She's going to murder you. Um, but you can also find us on iTunes, as well as all of the other Batman podcasts, and, and or Batman Universe podcasts. Don't listen to the other ones. Just listen to Batman Universe podcasts. Um, and Dustin's on all of them, right, Tim? Yes, he is. He's the one with the high media glory count. <laughs> Yes, he is. Uh, and you can rate and review all of those, and you can leave us a comment on the website when this episode is, po- is posted. Um, you can also send us an email. And what's the email, Terrence? Batfans27 at gmail.com. 27 as in Detective Comics 27. So Batfans27 at gmail.com. Send us an email. Let us know you're out there. And uh, we look forward to hearing from you. All right, so I guess that's it. Um, don't 
don't um, don't cry because you know we'll be back here in two weeks. We love you. Don't don't you ever cry because <laughs> we don't want to make people cry. We'll be back here in two weeks. Don't worry about it. All right. All right. I'll see you. Bye. <laughs> see you, everyone. I thought you start singing Guns N' Roses. Don't cry there at the end or something. Yeah. <laughs> The last oh, episodes, man. we're missing that. I know. Yeah. <laughs> and then Alex's question, do we cry? I was waiting for Tim to say, I don't cry at Batman Animated. I make people cry. <laughs> Who's Tim? See, <laughs> 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 so you're more witty than I am, Tim. <laughs> I'll tell you the jokes, you make people cry. <laughs> well, Laura, thanks for coming on. Thanks for being on. I appreciate it. And yeah. You had to buy a headset and everything. And, Oh,